Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson, Welcome everybody to another episode of Keep It Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are wishing you all a very happy new year and a year filled of your games for the players on your fantasy rosters actually being played. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, to break down all of the action from the teams that played over the past week, my very good friend, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. And yes, let's hope that we have a year ahead of chaos on the ice rather than off the ice. And the chaos on the ice in 2022 has already begun with that wild winter classic St. Louis, Minnesota matchup. And now today, Pittsburgh had a double hat trick to beat San Jose eight to five. I think that they were way up. And then San Jose, I think, came within two goals and then Pittsburgh put it to bed but what a wild uh, what a wild couple of days i could get used to this yeah there's been some fun hockey it's almost like when the teams play a little badly it makes for more fun games i don't know maybe we should just go watch ohl games and start playing fantasy hockey for that and maybe it would be more exciting i'm getting actually really beginning of season vibes from a lot of games right now like teams look sloppy they look rusty they're these crazy uh, high scoring outings uh, or like one-sided affairs like Toronto against Ottawa. Ottawa looked terrible in the game on Saturday night and Toronto looked ready to go. But this is the sort of thing that you expect when there's been a lot of inconsistency and no one's quite in their routine. And uh, it's always a really fun time of year. So that's for me the silver lining right now is we get to open the season like a second time and enjoy all the fun and chaos that goes with it. And of course, we're here to unpack that chaos and tell you how you can play it to your advantage uh, for your fantasy team's advantage and continue on your path to winning your league. Yeah, exactly. By the way, you know who's not sloppy? I'm guessing because I didn't watch the game, but Eric Carlson, of all the players in this game, uh, one of the few plus players. So for whatever that's worth, the other guys, you know, Brent Burns minus two. I think when Eric Carlson was on the ice, everything was cool. It was probably when he stepped off. It's like when the Sens made it to the conference finals against Pittsburgh, uh, funnily enough. Uh, it was like when he's on the ice, things are cool. It's just like as soon as he steps off, everything falls apart. Uh, he's, he's the best, Brent. I just, I don't know. I feel like we need to do more to shout out how great Eric Carlson is just to make up for these past couple of years where we were so sad about him every opportunity i get you just took care of that and he was in on the sharks yeah on a, on a, a he was in on some of the sharks scoring today they were down four nothing elon like six minutes into the game then it was six one then they got up to six five with 15 minutes left in the third and then uh with two minutes left evan rodriguez scored his hat trick and then with 10 seconds left brian rust the newly returned brian rust the newly outjured brian rust Scored his hat trick. Wild. (laughs) What a game. Okay, so we'll get actually to the Penguins in a little bit. We're going to start the show on a bit of a down note, though. But actually, before that, let's do an up note and sort of set the table for what we're doing here. So first of all, Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. It's a new year, but DauberHockey.com, there's nothing new about it except for the new content they throw at us every single day. But it's the same old great site where it's the place to be for anything fantasy hockey. It's where I go every day to start my day. You read the daily ramblings. Then as I'm like preparing for my leagues, preparing for these shows, I go to Frozen 
pool, which has all the greatest tools. So it's great. DauberHockey.com. Check it out. Uh, the plan for today's show is actually Brian and I have got half a show's worth of content, but I think we're going to cram a lot in here. And then, actually, yesterday, I recorded a joint episode with the Fantasy Hockey Life guys, Victor and Jesse, and then Ben Burnett from Short Shifts joined me. So it was the four of us, and we did a draft of players that are 50% rostered or lower on fan tracks, and we each drafted one player per team. It was a really fun draft, and so the end of this episode is going to be the first half of that draft, and then you'll be able to go and download the Fantasy Hockey Life episode to get the second half of that draft. So, Brian, Brian and I are going to talk for a bit, then we're going to do an ad, then we're going to cut to that draft, and, and that's the plan. We're going to have a lot of fun. But Brian, like I said, I'm going to start this portion of the show on a bit of a down-up because we do have to discuss how all these games are being postponed in the future. At least it's like n- not like last minute. At least we have some time to prepare. I guess that's some small silver lining. But like uh, the main thing is a bunch of Canadian teams are postponing games over the next couple of weeks because of these attendance restrictions. They, I guess they want to have the games later when they can have more people in the stands. Uh, definitely you'll want to check out the schedule before you make any moves. Moves. Make sure it's an updated schedule, like the one at keepingcarlson.com slash tools. It's a spreadsheet that I keep updating. Because uh, if you're going to stream in a player, you're going to want to make sure that they're actually going to play the games you're expecting them to. As far as players you already have on your rosters, uh, this is always a tough time, right? If you have a player that's not going to be playing very much for the next little while, you have to make the decision of do you hold because they're too good to drop? Or do you consider like trading them? Or do you just drop them and you know suck it up and just be sad that you had to drop a guy because their schedule is bad, even though you would have rather ha- uh, had them in your lineup? Uh, obviously, I guess it's the same old advice, right? Like if you need to win now, then you probably need to consider shaking things up even though you don't want to but if you're in a good spot like we we say this all the time if you're in a good spot then maybe you hold on or maybe even try to trade for some of these players with bad schedules because you could get them at a discount brian do you have like any general advice regarding like what's going on here like uh, specifically the habs and the islanders play zero times next week you're getting no games when your habs and islanders the kraken and the canucks only play once and then there's a few other teams playing twice so i'm curious to know if you have any new nuggets for people of what they can do if they're in this situation yeah, so if you're trying to figure out what to do with a guy who's not going to be playing games for your team, I have a few pieces of advice, and some of it is about the player, and some of it is about your team. The player, you know, if it's a guy on the bottom half of your roster and you need to win weeks and compete, you should definitely strongly consider dropping, because this player also probably isn't going to be uh, that appealing to other teams unless they're coasting and cruising at the top half of the standings, in which case, if it's a good, if it's a guy in the bottom half of your roster, maybe it's someone who might not crack theirs. So that's one thing to consider. You also need to look at your opponent for the upcoming weeks if you're playing head-to-head and see what their situation is. Like if your number of games played in the weeks that these Canadian teams or the Islanders or the Kraken aren't getting a lot of games in, if your games played is already way above or way below your opponent's totals, then dropping you know Noah Dobson or I don't know, Bo Horvat or Connor Garland, that's less likely to make a big dent in the outcome of your matchup here. So, like, you need to consider, uh, again, like, the, the general advice for me is when it's about the player, you need to ask, okay, are there similar players available in free agency to the guy I'm dropping? And are these guys ever available at other times of year? Those are the big questions for me about trying to figure out, okay, if I let go of this guy, is he going to get added by one of my competitors? And then the second piece about your team is uh, you need to ask, like, is that roster spot that you're clearing going to make or break your week if you clear it or if you waste it on a guy who's not playing? And then the follow-up to that is, do you need this week's results to make or break your fantasy playoff positioning? And the answer to those questions is going to help guide you on whether or not to, uh, you know, say, oh, no, I have to cut ties with 
all these bubble guys on Canadian teams that like may be good enough for my roster, but I'm not sure long term if they're holds. Uh, you might have to cut ties with them today if you're in a super competitive situation, or you can hold on to them if you're not. And again, uh, a lot depends on how attractive they're going to be to other people in your league and your games played next week. So, you know, you're going to have to do a little bit of your homework and research to figure out, especially the games played piece. But that's going to be the big guidance. I think, Elon, like we're going to be talking a lot about specific players and names, and we'll talk about sort of their long-term outlooks. But for you uh, and your fantasy team, your own personal team, those are the guiding questions that you have to answer as we talk about these guys' long-term outlooks. Yeah, I think that's really great advice, actually looking at your matchups and seeing how much it's going to help or hurt you to lose a couple of games. Maybe it's on the other side. Also, if you look and you realize you're going to lose by a lot, regardless, then might as well hold on to the players and, you know, stock up for the future. And yeah, the only other advice I'd give is like, if you have a player that you're thinking of dropping, definitely first see if you can at least trade him, right? (laughs) If you come to the conclusion that you need to drop, but it's a good player, then yeah, might as well see if there's a market. Like we're going to talk about Ilya Sorokin and, you know, maybe you're going to decide, I just can't afford to hold this guy, but I'm sure that there'll be someone who will want to take him off your hands. Uh, But let's get to some of these specific bad schedule players. I've got three here that I wanted to ask you about that. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious to see what you think about them. Like you said, like we're going to talk about them long-term and that can maybe help guide people in their decisions about these guys. Uh, I want to start on the Islanders who don't play any times next week, like we've discussed, and actually don't even play until Thursday of the following week so it's like a 10-day layoff just brutal and they already had that bad schedule early in the season remember they had two one game weeks so it's just been rough sledding for people having islanders on their teams uh but yeah we got to talk about one of the hottest d-men in the league right now noah dobson he's finally started to produce like we were hoping he would when he took over that top power play job with letty out of the picture so dobson is a 2018 12th overall pick and he's just come off an amazing month 10 points in his last 10 games including two straight one goal and one assist games on this past thursday and saturday versus buffalo and edmonton and in the 3-2 win over edmonton yesterday dobson also took five shots blocked three shots so just a fantastic performance for his fantasy managers all across the board but now like i said he doesn't play until thursday the 13th i'm sure i'm not alone like i as someone like in one of my leagues i added dobson uh, think around the start of the month lucky for me you know like thinking he'd just be a streamer and now if he feels like a hold but at the same time i always have that thought in my head like but i did just add him like originally as a streamer my plan was never to hold him long term so it kind of makes me wonder if maybe that's gonna be a reason why it's okay to drop him but of course that might be a big mistake so i guess my question to you is how for real is this run that he's on like is it possible maybe that this uptick has a lot to do with Ryan Pulak being out of the picture. And once Ryan Pulak returns, then, you know, Dobson will fall back to earth. Or, or maybe I'll put it another way. We've got with the Islanders, uh, probably most people are saying if they're not named Barzal and they're not a goalie, then you definitely just want to drop them for the short stretch. Is like Dobson in that Barzal territory right now where he's just too good to drop and you have to hold on? For Dobson, I, I think we need to look at why all of a sudden he's doing so much better than he was at the start of the season and last year because uh, the one material change that I can find is that Ryan Pulak is not in the picture. When Pulak was in the lineup, Dobson had no goals and three assists for three points over 11 games, just 18 shots, so like a shot and a half-ish per game and averaging only 18 minutes of ice time per night. Without Pulak in the lineup, it's very clear that Dobson has been asked to step right up. In 15 games since Pulak has been out, Dobson has 11 points in those 15 games, five goals and six assists, 38 shots. So that's uh, coming up on two and a half shots per game and 22 minutes on average of time on ice per night, including six of Dobson's last 10 games. He's seen 22 or more 
minutes of ice and as many as 26 minutes of ice. So that's huge for Noah Dobson, who hadn't been seeing those numbers pre-Pulak's injury. In that 10-game run with that especially high time on ice, Pulak has also been on a, a very particularly good run. Five goals, five assists for 10 points in 10 games. Those five goals have come on 27 shots for Dobson, which means his shooting percentage is over 18%, which is high even for a forward. So some of this is uh, is more than we can expect. But still, if you take two or three goals or maybe four if you want to still Dobson could without those extra goals that he might be scoring have six or seven points in his last 10 games and that is nothing to sneeze at and along with those goals that Dobson is scoring he has three power play assists which is really nice and this is one thing that I think is definitely a result of Ryan Pulak being out Dobson's share of power play time has grown from roughly 50 percent to a pretty dominant majority share of the Isles power play time. Dobson is now seeing up in the 70 to 80% range of the Isles power play time, which makes sense, right? Because maybe they thought with Pulak and Dobson, they could quarterback two units and do fairly well. But now maybe they just lean a little more on the Dobson unit, which is not something the Isles have done for several years. So it's refreshing to see them do now. Um, so, you know, Dobson, for, it's funny because I had the exact same thought as you did. You know, everyone on the aisles except Barzal is droppable. And Dobson was the guy. I'm like, oh, but maybe not this time because my line on Dobson so far this year has been he's been a, a roughly 40 point player with low numbers in the peripheral categories. But now we're seeing consistently good shot numbers. The block numbers have continued to be good and increased sc- scoring from Dobson's power play role. So I'm happy to edit my take on Dobson and you know I'm not going to boost him up a ton but would say 45 to 50 points with meaningful peripheral contributions uh, is in the, the the works for Dobson here if he keeps getting the minutes and role that he has of course the other piece to that puzzle whether Dobson is going to keep getting the, this deployment is Ryan Pulak and when he's back because from my read on Islanders management they seem to be creatures of habit right so I'd venture to guess that things swing back at least partially, if not fully, to the way they were to begin the season when Pulak and Dobson were both healthy, which means uh, Dobson might lose some power play time and some five-on-five time too, while Pulak comes back to shoulder the similar load that he was shouldering through the first 10 or 11 games of the Islanders' season. The latest on Ryan Pulak was, uh, came last week from Andrew Gross, who reported that Lula Morello said Pulak was skating and feeling better with no timetable, but the initial timetable said four to six weeks, and it's been six weeks now, and now we have two more weeks for Pulak to heal. I assume he's back, which means that Dobson's value is diminished. And so uh, this is all to say, if you can't afford to hold on to Dobson, that's a shame, but I think he's a drop if that roster spot is going to make the difference between a win and a loss, and one you might not like like seriously regret. I think you can drop him without being terrified that you're going to regret losing him for the rest of the season in a less competitive setting, like if you're cruising in first or, you know, you can handle two weeks of no games. Yeah, Dobson could be worth a hold, but he also may not pay off for you in a few weeks when the Islanders are playing games again the same way he's paid off for you in the last few. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you have more guts than me. I definitely cannot come on this pod and tell people to drop Dobson. You know that that's going to potentially lead to people being like, this terrible podcast has told me to drop a <laughs> uh, point-per-game defenseman over the past month that's finally found his stride, 22 years old or whatever it is. <laughs> High pedigree prospect. <laughs> so look, I'm just giving permission because the last time the, last time the Islanders had such little, uh, like s- such a weak schedule, 
we said it was okay to drop him. And I'm saying I don't know that enough has materially changed. Like, yes, he's on a scoring run, but I can see why. Like, he's, he's scoring on too many shots, and he has a greater role because Ryan Pulak isn't in the lineup. And I don't think he's going to keep scoring on the same amount of shots he takes. And I think Pulak's going to be back. Right. Okay. It's all fair. So, Like, great. Like, if I had him in Kukupful, Elon, I'm going to be honest, I would have a hard time dropping him. I have Sorokin in the Kukupful. And I, that's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, kkupfl.com. Uh, I have Sorokin. I had Varlamov. I dropped him already the instant I heard about this news. He's gone. I think Sorokin is borderline droppable, too. Um, especially because he's only... Like, if you're in a volume league... I think he's, I, I like, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm diminishing my own assets worth, unfortunately, but I think it's true. If you're in a rates league, I think you're good. Like Sorokin still should be able to help you there with say percentage and goals against, but man, he's a tough hold right now in a volume, in a volume format. Yeah, well, the reason is because for a while, Sorokin was looking great because he was playing a lot more than Varlamov because Varlamov wasn't doing well. But like, it's kind of like almost bad news all around if, uh, for fantasy for these goalies that just before this long rest, Varlamov has started to find his game. His last two games versus Boston and Buffalo have been really good. And, you know, we predicted when we did that Schmore Goalies Board midseason show a couple weeks ago, we talked about how we're probably going to see the Islanders go back to 50-50 if they can, uh, you know, if Varlamov is up for it. And now now it's looking like he is. And so, yeah, if Sorokin's only going to be a 50-50 guy, that can be a frustrating person to hold in normal circumstances, let alone in circumstances where he's not going to be playing for a while. Of course, when he does play, he's great. So it's really tough. I'm just going to amend what you said and say, like, for these guys like Sorokin and Dobson, like, at least try. If, if you're desperate and you need to win these next couple of weeks, at least try to trade them. Like, de- like work yeah. really hard at it. Like, don't drop these yes. amazing assets unless you've, you're sure that you've knocked on all the doors. And if you've knocked on all the doors and no one's interested, hey, then maybe there's a chance you can drop him and then add him back you know like maybe cut cut it halfway be like he doesn't play for 10 days how about i'm gonna drop him and i'm gonna add him in five days if no one's added him yet and so you're playing a little bit of chicken but you could maybe get a couple games extra before you come back and then hold him for you know a couple games that you lose so the other managers in my couple division have been receiving several offers like i'm just tossing them out for sorokin like seeing if anybody else wants to take him on and i think maybe my position on dobson and sorokin reflects like i'm in a dogfight in the middle of the standings right now in tier two ottawa of the cupful like i'm having a, a rough go and so i can't afford these two weeks to just lose games um and if i if i was in a more comfortable place i would be happier to hang on to dobson but i, I like your advice elon that like at least try and trade see if somebody's willing to take that guy on and then maybe they see uh you know they can reap the rewards in a couple weeks if they can hang on then but right now yeah maybe maybe you're hearing the uh the outcome of me not feeling like i'm able to hang on two weeks with no games from sorokin or dobson yeah that's fair obviously then it gets tougher if it's a keeper league but anyway all right uh speaking of guys that are valuable in keeper leagues probably but really tough holds right now let's go to the habs i think that probably at this point there's no one to hold on the Habs, except for one person. Like, kind of luckily, all the other good players, you know, Carey Price, Mike Hoffman, Tyler Toffoli, even Brendan Gallagher, they're all injured right now. So hopefully you can just stash these guys in your IR and not have to, you know, even stress about it. Uh, But one guy who's healthy and just not going to play for a while is Nick Suzuki, who just scored a goal versus Florida on Saturday. So that's great. But that broke a six-game pointless streak. Brian, was that goal from Nick Suzuki enough of a sign that he's going to get going again after the break, that he's someone that people should hold? Or is he one of these people that you'd be okay with cutting bait on if you had him on your couple team? You know, I really doubt this week of no games should be the tipping point for any Nick Suzuki managers. Like, I would hope you've made up your mind already 
about whether you should deal with... No, we need to... You tell us. <laughs> We're waiting for you to tell us what to do. Okay, well, if you've put up with him all season long, what's another couple weeks is my short answer. Um, if you're looking for something really exciting to come from Nick Suzuki... We should be seeing better than we've seen so far. Like Suzuki's currently on a 46-point pace, which is low. But it's not so low, you know, considering how Suzuki and Montreal have been playing. Like, I wouldn't want to be expecting more than a 55, 60-point pace rest of season from Suzuki. I think because of his high... I think his upside is higher than Dobson. It sounds like you might disagree, Elon. And I think that makes Suzuki holdable. Like, when you were like, oh, I don't want to be the podcast that tells people to drop this really exciting young prospect, Noah Dobson, getting a look with this unknown upside, I still think Suzuki's upside is higher than Dobson's because it's hard to have high upside on the New York Islanders. Um, So I think that's why I would hold Suzuki. If I had to choose to drop one of Suzuki and Dobson, I would let go of Dobson, um, but I, I, I'm just going to say, like, yeah, I don't think. I think in leagues where you've waited this long, where Suzuki has essentially not been playing uh, for, like, stretches of games at a time based on his production, if you've put up with that uh, and you're waiting for that 55 to 60 point upside to bear out, yeah, you can wait for it. Keep waiting. It's going to hurt you for the next week or so, um, and it might hurt you beyond that because Suzuki isn't able to find his game as much as he should. But I could see him being uh, pacing for about 10 more points the rest of the way, comparing to his 46-point pace that he's been on so far. I see. Okay, I guess with Suzuki, he, at least the thing with him is if you drop him, there's a better chance to think that he doesn't get added, so you could try to get him back later if you really believe. Like, you're saying that you don't believe that Dobson has much of a chance to produce on the Islanders. I feel like right now it's harder to produce on Montreal than on it's the true. Islanders. Though, of course, there may be some reinforcements coming. Like like we said, like a bunch of players are injured. They've been playing basically with their AHL lineup for a lot of these past games. Uh, so maybe things can get better, but throughout the season, it hasn't been great. Like, in a keeper league, I like Suzuki long-term. I think he's, like, a great player. Like, I don't think he's lost his skill, but I just I could see things just not working out in Montreal. It's already been half a year. So uh, these, are, these are tough decisions, I guess. But I would be a lot more comfortable telling people to drop Nick Suzuki at this point. And maybe it's just because he's on a cold streak. So it's like more obvious. Uh, like at the start of the year, for sure, I would have agreed with you that Suzuki seemed like the higher upside guy. We were all super excited about him. But hey, we were also excited about Jeff Petrie. And now he's in everyone's waiver wires and no one cares. Right. Jeff Petrie is obviously like still a drop too, <laughs> especially now. If you've been holding him this this long, now this is this is your sign that you really uh, need to let go. I don't think there's anyone who's listening to us that's held him. Like yeah. because it's unless it's like a brand new listener, then this is their first episode and then welcome. And then like yeah, definitely you should be dropping Jeff Petrie a long time ago. Uh okay, so Brian, that's it for the schedule talk. Okay, let's have some happy news now. Let's switch over and have a good time, talk about some outcheries. Let's go to Toronto, okay? They had a long layoff, not having played since December fourteenth, and they've got some more postponed games coming up. I said this is gonna be happy news. So all this time off has helped the team get healthy, and they were basically in full force on Saturday versus Matt Murray and the Sens when they gave the Sens quite the shellacking to the tune of a 6-0 dominant victory. Uh, so Mitch Marner was back in his spot on the top line with Matthews and Bunting, a line that was actually uh, kept quiet in that game. So I'm sure my bro- I was hanging out with my brother last night and he has Matthews on his team and was in a close matchup and he was really disappointed that Toronto kept scoring and Matthews wasn't getting in on anything. So sorry, Joel. Uh, but William Nylander also returned from the COVID protocol and he joined Tavares and Kerfoot on the second line and Nylander did not pull a Matthews. He scored a 
couple goals. Uh, so last time we talked about the Leafs a few weeks ago when there were these injuries, we were talking about Andre Kasha and how sweet of a spot he was in with Matthews. I assume that we should just say now that Kasha is a drop as he was yesterday, just like a line three power play two guy. He did have a power play assist on Mikheyev's goal, but you can't expect that to be sustainable production. So Brian, what's our updated take now on these guys like Kasha? But then probably more interestingly, these top sixers that are now finally back with their studs and bunting playing with Matthews and Marner and then Kerfoot playing with Nylander and Tavares. Like, so Kerfoot made a very great case for himself. He had three assists versus the Sens yesterday. He was pointless in six games before that. But again, uh, how much do you really read into it when he wasn't playing with these stud players? And then Bunting, yeah, pointless in his last four. But you've got to imagine that Austin Matthews won't be going scoreless very often. And when he does get points, Bunting is now there. Uh, and he was on a good run before. Marner got injured before. So, Brian, let's say we had to rank these three guys that are like periphery guys on the Leafs getting exposure to good players. Uh, so Bunting, Comfer, Kerfoot, and Andre Kasha for legacy reasons. How would you rank these guys and your interest in picking them up soon? Well, I think Kasha is probably the lowest of the bunch. He saw his time on ice drop from the high teens to just 15 minutes on Saturday night. And that's with four minutes of power play time from the second unit. To Kasha's credit, even with um, like even with diminished ice time, he still picked up four shots and an assist. And I think probably that power play time helped him with at least one of those shots and that assist, the, the point that Kasha actually put up. Uh, Toronto actually saw nearly 10 minutes with the man advantage and lots of it with the lead. So, I, you know, I'm definitely not expecting Kasha to still find so much power play time on ice, which is uh, a reason to drop him. You know, he's not going to see meaningful power play time. He's not going to be in the top six. So he's at the bottom of this list. Bunting and Kerfoot, both these guys are frustrating. Like, we were hoping that at least one of them could do a serviceable Zach Hyman impression in Toronto, but they're alternating between one of them is Zach Hyman and the other is Zach Cassian, uh, on and off between them. Like, between Bunting and Kerfoot, they've had these great weak winning runs and then other miserable stretches of silence where they lack even peripheral contributions. And so if I had to rate them, I think I'd put Bunting up ahead of Kerfoot just because he seems to find some way to contribute more often, at least in the shots. Like Kerfoot, when he's not doing anything, you see a lot of zeros in his cupful stats or, or 0.5s or one points, like very minimal contributions. I think Kerfoot's floor is lower than Bunting's and I don't think their offensive upside is much different from one another. Like in my couple division, Bunting and Kerfoot have been in and out of free agency plenty through the season. Kerfoot has been a free agent more often than Bunting. But that tells me, like, I if you're looking at this week ahead with no games played for Toronto, uh, or one potentially, uh, it means uh, if I let them go now, I could still get another shot at them and maybe no one else is going to race to pick them up. So I know, I'm not sure, Elon, if you asked me if you drop Kerfoot and Bunting, I think I would, uh, even if you didn't ask. And I'd rank them uh, Bunting, then Kerfoot, then Kasha, if I'm looking for a player for the rest of the season. Okay, yeah. So as of this now, the schedule is the Leafs actually are scheduled to play twice next week against Edmonton on Wednesday and Colorado on Saturday. So maybe that Edmonton game gets canceled. We'll have to wait and see, or I should say postponed, not canceled. But yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you with that ranking. If you do want to have one of these Leafs, I think Bunting, just also because he's like, you know, had more success earlier in the year and Matthews Marner, just, you know, a little bit better than Tavares Nylander. As much as I love Nylander, I have Nylander in a couple of my leagues and he's been a revelation. Uh, What a great pick by me. Thanks, Elon. 
Okay. So next up, let's go. I'm being such a loser. Sorry. Uh, let's go to Columbus now. So we're doing outjuries as a reminder. And we got to talk about Patrick Laine, who returned for the Blue Jackets on Thursday versus Nashville, had a big game, scored a goal, took seven shots. He was quieter on Saturday. He went pointless with only two shots versus Carolina in that brutal 7-4 loss where Columbus blew that 4 nothing lead. So Laine has been lining up like right back on the top line with Jenner and Voracek, also playing with those guys and Nyquist and Wierenski on the top power play. Overall, you look at the season numbers, Laine's only played 11 games, but he has 11 points those 11 games. So he's kind of reminding me a lot like Tarasenko, right? Someone who we once saw as this big star. Then he disappointed us big time recently, leading to him being a draft steal for anyone who grabbed him in drafts this year. Both Laine and Tarasenko clearly went a lot lower than they should have based on the results so far. Now, though, people are super high on Laine again. We had one question in our Discord. Someone was asking about Laine versus like Kirill Kaprizov. I think it was this person had Kaprizov and got an offer of Laine and some other pieces. Uh, but I was then just made me really think like how good is Laine? Right? Is, are we thinking of him as back to being that like seventy six point pace guy from two thousand nineteen twenty, or even like the forty plus goal guy that we expected him to be year in year out when he first broke into the league? Or is he, you know, still on Columbus and like, yeah, he's had a good 11 points in 11 games, but let's kind of hold our horses. And maybe he's not as bad as last year, but maybe not as good as this like stud that he's showing up as so far through 11 games. I think that last descriptor was probably the better one, Elon, which shouldn't surprise anyone, right? Uh, It's been a long time since we've seen Patrick Lane look as dangerous as he did in his early seasons when he looks like this consistent threat to score 40 goals. But it's really nice to see that Patrick Lane doesn't look as bad as he looked last year. This season for Lane in Columbus, he's only played 11 games, but in those 11 games, we've seen a return to form for Lane in a way. Last season, yeah, he looked awful. We don't need to get too back into that. Like, he just... He looked bad. There's no, like, it's not because of variance. It's not because, uh, like, of any factor other than Patrick Liney was bad. It was a bad year for him. But again, not going to get too deep into that. Let's look at this season for Line. His play at 5-on-5, five five, it's settling in somewhere between where it was in his 50-point season and where it was in his 70-point seasons, which split the difference. You know, that looks like 60 points. Of course, uh, he's point per game through 11 games. That's much better than a 60-point pace. And I think that's partly in thanks to uh, what's not just happening at 5-on-5 five five for Line, but also on the power play where Line has four power play points in 11 games. That's a 30 power play point pace and he's done that once in his career. The other seasons where Line has seen similar deployment on the power play, both in percentage of timeshare that he gets for his team and also the amount of shooting he's doing, Line is usually paced for about 20 power play points uh, in this kind of look or role. Uh, it's really great, though, that Liney's getting tons of chances to shoot on the power play. He's basically the same. Uh, he, he's at where he was at at his previous peak in Winnipeg on the power play. So combine that five-on-five and power play situation, Line is back to three shots per game, healthy power play reduction, and seems to be working well enough with the line he's found himself on. I think this all puts us in like 60 to 70 point territory for Patrick Liney. You know, I I think 60 points is, is, like I said, splitting the difference, but I would trend or I would lean based on what we're seeing in his numbers. I would lean to take the over on 60 rather than the under. Okay, but still nothing close to Kaprizov, who's looking like above point per game. What do you think about my Line versus Tarasenko comparison? Like, Tarasenko is also sitting at a point per game right now, just like Line, though Tarasenko's played three times more games, and he currently is sitting on a streak of goals in five straight games. So, just out of curiosity, is it close, or is it, like, obviously one or the other? Who would you rather have for the rest of the season between Line and Tarasenko? 
It's uh, it's an interesting comparison. I mean, Tarasenko's still on the team that doesn't like him, where Liney's on the team that is, like, trying to learn to like <laughs> Are him. Are we sure that uh, St. Louis still doesn't like him? I feel I like maybe he's starting to make them like him with all these goals. I mean, they must be. His, his deployment has definitely improved. Like, we saw the dislike or, like, disinterest in Saint Lu- by, from St. Louis in Tarasenko pretty steadily early in the season when they were suppressing his ice time, but... Like you said, he's kind of forced their hand with all the goals he's scoring. Tarasenko looks fantastic. I'd rather him than Patrick Laine. He looks like he is like fully returned to his peak form, even though uh, not long ago we considered uh, Tarasenko playing on the third line. And now we're like, oh, well, actually, he's not on the third line because Robert Thomas is a top six centerman playing with Tarasenko. And so now it's almost like there's three top six lines. I mean, usually we call this a top nine. But Tarasenko's line is so good. I, I don't want to diminish them by calling them just a top nine. Uh, so yeah, I would prefer, even though Line A is the one getting true blue, top line, top power play deployment, I think Tarasenko and what he's showing us this year is legit good enough to make up the difference between what his deployment has been and what Line's has been and to be the, the more preferred player on my depth chart. Okay, yeah, no arguments for me. Uh, while we're in Columbus, though, another hot streak I want to get your take on is this Alexandre Texier run that was extended with his one goal, one assist game versus Carolina. Texier is now up to nine points in his last eight games from his line with Nyquist and Sean Corrali. Uh, Texier doesn't even get power play time on, on the top power play or the second power play. He's just been doing this all at even strength, which on one hand is like impressive, but on the other hand makes it a little bit hard to believe in him being able to, you know, sustain this production you know he's not playing with the most exciting players he doesn't get power play time but at the same time he keeps getting points all the time so is this the kind of thing where people need to be rushing to grab tech if he's still available or are you you know like skeptical that he'll be able to keep this up I mentioned Alex Texier. By the way, I hope everyone enjoyed the snippet of the Pigeon cast that we released last week and uh, if you're interested in becoming a patron you still can and listen to the whole thing if you listen to the whole thing you'll hear uh, that there was a spot in it where we were talking about Alex Texier. I brought him up as somebody who, like, I'm trying to ignore, but I just can't. I'm trying to ignore him for the reasons you said, Elon, because, you know, I keep looking at Texier and his deployment and thinking, no way. Like, I wish I had him on my roster for that last game or those last couple where he did well, but it's not going to continue. And then Texier keeps producing, even though there's not a ton of opportunity being allowed to him with his deployment. Uh, Still more deployment now, though, than there was at the start of the season. I don't know if you remember, Elon, but Texier at the start of the year began with bottom six deployment. He was barely seeing 13 minutes a night over his first 10 contests. Since then, Texier in 21 games is averaging 16 minutes a night and has 17 points and 41 shots. So a couple shots a game and 17 points in 21 games is really, really fantastic. Of course, not all of this is sustainable. His shooting percentage and his on-ice shooting percentage and his points participation rates all a little to moderately high in this run that Texier's on. So he's not going to keep it up, but you know, he's in a top six role right now. Even with no power play time, there's a shot. He can stick around at like a 50 to 55 point pace. Unfortunately, there's not even power play time that we can look forward to, though, and say, well, maybe there's a chance because that top power play in Columbus, assuming everyone stays healthy, is pretty locked down. There's no uh, there's no way for Texier. Uh, there's no apparent way for Texier to wiggle his way into it. So I think Texier- well, hey, maybe second power play at least could be available to him. Yeah, right, because he's not even getting that. But the second power play in Columbus doesn't see a whole lot of action and isn't that exciting. So I just kind of wrote that off. 
<laughs> entirely. I think so. This is all to say, I think Texier is probably a, a good guy to go and get and see how long he can do this. Consider him a short-term stream. But at some point, he's not going to keep putting up 17 points over 21 games, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, but it's not going to last quite this way. But again, we could expect a 50-point pace rest of season, maybe 55 if things break well. Okay, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know. I guess I'm just like a stickler for at least uh, some power play time and like a decent pair of line mates. I'd probably even take a bunting over at Texie. Obviously, the schedule Me too. Uh, takes precedence. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then one more outry. Let's go to Pittsburgh, where we actually have a bunch of outries from one team. So uh, lucky for them, they got both Brian Rust and Jake Gensel back today for that crazy game against the Sharks that we already discussed. And apparently, Evgeny Malkin is going to be coming back soon. Like maybe by the time you listen to this, we'll be having news that Malkin's back for the next game. Uh, as far as today's game like you said rust obviously had a great return he had a hat trick also evan rodriguez had a hat trick this guy just keeps on producing and being so good like at the start of the year i wouldn't have expected there to be room for evan rodriguez in the top six right i would have thought it's going to be crosby rust and gensel and then malkin with kapanen and zucker and that would be it and then maybe like jeff carter would sneak his way in sometime if there's an injury so i would have thought like you know back when evan rodriguez was doing so well at the start of the season i I just thought, yeah, it's great while it lasts, but he's not going to be able to hold this role. So far, he's been in the top six the whole time and producing. At some point, all these people are going to be healthy. Or I guess it's the Penguins, so that might not be the case. But just, I'm just curious, do you think the Pens are like seeing enough from him that he's like earned his way to not be in the bottom six? Like When everyone's healthy, maybe it's like Kasperi Kapanen or Jason Zucker that goes down and just Evan Rodriguez stays in the top six and keeps producing. Like, Should people be at this point thinking of him, yeah, this is like a long-term hold for me this season. I don't have to worry about having to drop Evan Rodriguez at some point or trying to sell high. I feel like if we told people to sell high earlier in the year, they might be mad at us now thinking that, oh man, he's definitely kept up what he was doing at the start. When we've talked about Evan Rodriguez earlier this year, it's been exactly what you said, which is that we think he's actually good. Like Evan Rodriguez on this podcast, even when he was in Buffalo, we said he looked actually good, but he couldn't hold on to top six in Buffalo. But to his credit, very few players actually look good in Buffalo. And Evan Rodriguez was able to do that over the last few seasons. So good on him and good on him for making the most of his opportunities in Pittsburgh. It is hard to believe there's room for Rodriguez in the top six once everybody's healthy. But my counter argument to that is that Malkin with Zucker and Kapanen, like Zucker and Kapanen, I don't think have done a whole lot to justify playing on Malkin's line. They've had the opportunity. They haven't done much with it. At least from a fantasy perspective, I don't see why not let Evan Rodriguez continue to get some time because with he's been actually, again, actually good this year in Pittsburgh. Uh, nine shots a few games ago, six shots tonight. He's got three and a half shots per game, uh, averaging 17 and a half minutes, which is by far a career high of time on ice per night. I really want this guy to get an opportunity. He's 28 already. Uh, so, you know, we're not about to see, like, if we see a breakout, it's not because he's found a new gear. It's just because he's never had the opportunity. We're seeing him get the opportunity. We're seeing Rodriguez take advantage of it. And I would be much more interested in rostering him on the second line than I currently am in Zucker and Kapanen. 
Yeah, I wonder if this is a rare case where you can try to do a, a buy high. You know, there's probably people who have Rodriguez on their team that are just thinking, man, I really need to try to sell him before the bottom falls out. And now his value is so high. Now's my chance. And so maybe you can make an offer of like, I mean, obviously you have to pick the right player, maybe a Nick Suzuki in a one-year league, you know, someone that people would have expected to be so, so much better. And then maybe you'll be able to pull something off because I think I'm with you. Like at this point, why wouldn't the Penguins, like I'm not saying he's going to continue to be this good, but why wouldn't the Penguins continue to give him this prominent role? And you think like things could only get better he's gonna have malkin i guess it'll be harder to hold the top power play spot but uh he's been really good and i'm very impressed it's starting to become a pretty decent sized sample size uh, okay let's switch over to injuries now on short shifts lewis and i talked about how mike smith was back after two straight games that he played i suggested you could probably dump koskinen like i said smith will likely get the majority of the games moving forward and this was obviously or maybe bad advice because mike smith then got injured at the end of that game game that was on when we started the recording uh so now we have no word yet on how long he's going to be out uh which is a real bummer because mike smith had that great start to the year he came back for these couple games he actually didn't look that great but i assumed it was just shaking off the rust or whatever but now who knows maybe this is the kind of thing that could end up keeping him out for the rest of the time like maybe he aggravated something i haven't heard too much about what's wrong with mike smith but in the meantime Ugh, like I almost feel like gross asking, but like I guess do we have to tell people to go pick up Nico Koskinen again if he was dropped? Like he's just been so bad that I don't want to recommend picking up Koskinen, but you know, this is fantasy hockey. You need a goalie. He's probably now the starting goalie again, or I guess if Smith is out long term, we get back to Stuart Skinner going back and forth. Yeah. Ugh, like what do you do? I don't know. You tell me. Anything? Just like leave these guys. Well, your line in the past has been that, it, like, when we were talking about Koskinen, the line was that an Edmonton goalie, even if they give up four goals a night, still has a decent chance of winning, which makes them rosterable. And now we see, like, Edmonton has lost nine of their last 11. So that hasn't even been true. And part of that is because of Koskinen not being great in net or Skinner or Smith. Uh also, the offense isn't quite firing on all cylinders in this losing streak. Edmonton is shooting just 7.6%. So their luck is going to turn somewhat on the shooting and offensive front. But it's hard to say the Oilers' luck in the crease is going to turn. And I kind of think you hit the nail on the head with, you know, saying, should we just go ahead and add Koskinen? Or what about Skinner? I mean, Skinner's got a 916 this year compared to Koskinen's 902. And I don't think Miko Koskinen is the auto ad here. He was the 1A to Skinner's 1B. And Skinner was coming off of back-to-back starts when Mike Smith returned. So I don't think I rush out and grab Koskinen because I think he's going to get the lion's share of starts. I might stream him in for a spot, but I'm not looking at Koskinen thinking he's going to be the lockdown number one goalie. And even if he is, I'm not sure he's going to help my team in that role. So you're kind of stuck. Now, with Smith out, at least, if you're in a league where you're desperate for goaltending, it opens up the possibility that you can get starts from Koskinen or Skinner, but to get results from them is going to be maybe a bigger ask. And frankly, I would rather Skinner over Koskinen. Yeah, so there you go. It's the kind of thing where, yeah, maybe they'll have good results, maybe they won't, but it'll also be so frustrating because you won't know who's going to be playing until the, until the day of the game. So it's not an exciting situation in the Edmonton net right now. Also keep in mind, if they if they don't end up playing for a week or so, that might be enough time for Mike Smith to become, like, game-ready again. 
Hopefully. Yeah. yeah I'd like hopefully. That. I've got Smith in one of my leagues. I'm in actually in this really frustrating situation. I'm in a league where there's a maximum of four goalies. Like you're not allowed, like you have to drop a goalie if you're above four and you're not allowed to stash people in IR. It's like a serious league. You can't do shady things. And so I had Mike Smith. Then he got injured. I ended up adding Wedgwood out of free agency who hasn't been that great, but you know, this, this league counts save. So I was happy to get the starts. Then Smith came back. So I was forced to get rid of Wedgwood. I traded him for like peanuts and now, like, Smith is injured again, and I don't have him or Wedgwood. So now I'm down a goalie. Very frustrating. But Very frustrating. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm, I'm in a league that doesn't have enough IR spots. There's three IR spots total. Mike Smith has been sitting in one, taking one up for so long, came back for two games, did nothing for me, back on it. I don't have the space. So I'm actually, as a Mike Smith guy, trying to figure out, do I even hold Mike Smith? At this point, because we did raise the concern when he was injured that like, hey, he's an old guy uh, recovering from this injury might throw off whatever magic was happening before he was hurt. And now I just don't know, but he's still the de facto starter in Edmonton if he's healthy. So that's what I'm resting uh, my laurels on here. Yeah. Uh, okay. So there's more injuries actually in Edmonton. Unfortunately, Ryan Eugene Hopkins missed Saturday's game with a lower body injury. He's headed back to Edmonton to be evaluated in his absence in yesterday's game. Devin Shore was the replacement playing with Drysaddle and Yamamoto on the second line. Uh, Oilers didn't have a power play in that game, so we didn't get to see who takes uh, Ryan Eugene Hopkins' top power play spot. I'd imagine it would probably be Yamamoto. He was already there when Puliyarvi was out recently, and actually Yamamoto went on a nice run of two goals and three assists in three games capped by a big game versus the devils on friday so i'm not going to waste everyone's time asking you about devin shore but if ryan Eugene hopkins is out long term is this a good news or bad news for yamamoto because on one hand he loses a good line mate but on the other hand i think it would only make sense that it could be puliarvi yamamoto and then mcdavid and drysidle with the defenseman on that top power play so maybe this actually could end up being good for yamamoto and maybe he'll be able to keep that recent run going a little bit you say Yamamoto is losing a good line mate, which is true. But even with that good line mate, Yamamoto is pacing for 28 points this season with the only ray of sunshine coming recently where finally he's gone on a little run. Yamamoto with five points in his last four games, including two goals. So that's been exciting to see really the only burst of production from Yamamoto this year. But that's why maybe I'm not that concerned that Ryan Nugent and Hopkins is out because that didn't seem to be giving Yamamoto a whole lot of opportunity to score anyway. Uh, but maybe it can help overall because Ryan Nugent Hopkins has 14 power play points in 30 games. They're all assists. So if Yamamoto does get to step into that role and the power play runs similarly, there could be points up for grabs there for Yamamoto. So if Edmonton plays their games this week, I'd be up for streaming in Yamamoto to see what happens, especially because of this little uh, five-on-five run that he's on as well. Uh, yeah, like he's, we've talked about him earlier in the season as somebody you can drop and forget about and like it's just not going to happen for Kyler Yamamoto this season but this gives uh, you a reason to just take a fresh look at him and say you have someone available on the Oilers top power play which could yield some points 
Yeah. Also, I'll just throw this out there, and I have no idea if this is the case, but I could imagine if you have a line with Drysidel, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto, maybe Drysidel first chooses to pass to RNH and vice versa, and not looking at Yamamoto maybe yeah. as much. So maybe now it actually is good for him at even strength. And now, like, when Drysidel has the puck and he needs to dish it, he's not going to go to Devin Shore. So maybe Yamamoto ends up taking more shots and being more involved with the play. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. That's a great thought, Elon. I would, I would love to see it bear out. We'll see. Uh, yeah. You can just hear, I think, my overall lack of confidence in Yamamoto. I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins hasn't been lighting it up at even strength either. 12 points in 30 games is like, that's okay, but it's not that exciting. And over the course of Nugent Hopkins' injury, uh, that might not mean a ton for Yamamoto. But yes, sorry, I don't mean to downplay uh, the possibility that Yamamoto could become more of a go-to at 5-on-5 and have some opportunity to get in on some power play points. Yeah, just someone that if he's been dropped, at least add him to your watch list now if you don't want to jump on him right away. Uh, One more injury, not really much to discuss yet because we don't know the details, but Cam Talbot left the Winter Classic after the second period with a lower body injury. Uh, There haven't been any updates yet, uh, but just FYI, just like we talked about with Mike Smith, I think I'd be more interested in grabbing Kapo Kakinen than... Uh, Miko Koskinen, like, you know, assuming similar injury timelines, but who knows? Maybe Talbot will be back by the next game. Uh, the Wild play Thursday and Saturday next week, and then only Friday the week after. So if Talbot is out a couple weeks, he actually only misses three games. It's not as if, like, you know, trip over yourself to grab Kapo Kakinen, because even if he gets three games in a row, like, it's not like so, so much. Maybe it'll help you. I mean, it's not nothing, but uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see an update from Talbot, but consider Kakinen if you need a goalie. There's nowhere to really go with this right now because we don't know if Talbot's out, but the Wild are a good team. Kakinen has not proven himself to be a good goalie. However, Talbot has not been great this season either, and he has done reasonably well for anybody rostering him. So that makes Kakinen an appealing fantasy option if he does get to start a run of games, if Talbot is on the shelf for any amount of time. Yeah, I would definitely be excited to get Cockney's games just because Minnesota's a good team if he if he is playing a long string of games. Uh, there's actually a player on Edmonton I forgot to bring up that I did want to ask you about. A bunch of the patrons have been asking us about Zach Hyman, who went pointless for four straight games before assisting on Nurse's second period goal yesterday versus the Islanders. Uh, so a couple of specific questions like Ashley so that that she traded. Pierre-Luc Dubois for him and said, like, I'm a big Oilers fan. So that played a part into my trade. And also the fact that Hyman is like left wing, right wing. And Dubois is obviously only center eligible. Uh, but of course, he hasn't been playing that well lately. Specifically, uh, she said yesterday, he looked non-existent on that line. No puck control, bad positioning, hoping it's just an adjustment coming back from injury. Uh, Kevin, Kevin A. Bear, who is coordinating the couple for us this year, uh, said that he has Hyman in a category league. And he's wondering if he should hold him or use his spot to bring back one of his injured guys or just stream it's a 12-team league so there are a lot of good options out there so first of all kind of sad that we're even having this conversation because going into the season I remember we had Dom Lucision on the show and like we were talking about like there was so much excitement around Hyman about how he's like a good player he's in this like amazing spot like how could he not just be gangbusters and then he was like so good to start the year and now yeah he's in a little bit of a cold streak uh, I don't know. Like, uh, I if I had Hyman, I would just tell myself, Elon, don't worry about it. Like, as long as he's top line, top power play with McDavid, just chill and just assume that you're holding him forever so you don't even have to think about it. But is that too simple? I just feel like he's just not someone that I could ever consider dropping. But also, I don't have him, so I haven't really had to think about it too hard. <laughs> I do roster him in a league, and I, I'm nowhere near considering dropping Zach Hyman. And I would tell myself what you just said you would. Like, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. I think at least... 60 points is reasonable for Zach Hyman. Even with this cold stretch he's been on, he's not far off that pace, which I know is cold comfort for anyone who's been struggling because uh, 
seven points in the last 15 games for Zach Hyman has not been any fun as somebody who has him on his roster. Uh, but I really don't think twice about holding on to Zach Hyman. The one thing I'll wonder aloud about is he missed three games with an upper body injury. Going into missing those three games, he wasn't consistently good. And coming out of those, of course, Hyman has been quiet as well. And so I wonder if maybe he like was playing with something that should have been rested earlier and now he's back and maybe it's still bugging him. I don't know. This is just a thought. I'm not seeing any obvious sign that it is, but that's my way to excuse Hyman and what's been going on. Of course, you also look at McDavid's numbers to see, well, what's McDavid doing? McDavid is just fine. Edmonton's won two of their last 11 games, but McDavid has 13 points over the course of that skid. So he's oh, not that's the not problem. That, I don't know. That's not that great for McDavid. Like he, <laughs> Last year, he was in a run where he was like two points a game. You're talking about just above one point a game. Is that even a hundred point pace you're talking about it as if it's not bad to me i'm like that's a huge disappointment we thought he would be a 150 point guy this year okay you're right so if i adjust my expectations to mcdavid you're right maybe that's not quite as good as you'd hope and any mcdavid roster is like yeah that is a problem that's interesting that's Elon. like nino niederreiter numbers i was just thinking more <laughs> in the context of like edmonton still losing nine of 11 while their superstar is still like going off pretty well but he needs to go off like two superstars wrapped up in one and Hy- the context is also like hyman not being able to do a lot even though mcdavid is still going off like still a bona fide superstar if he scored at this pace all season long he'd still be a league leader in scoring uh i, I think overall this is a hiccup for hyman and for edmonton and for McDavid. I mentioned their 7.6% shooting percentage as a team over the last 11 games. I think that'll correct and we'll see more points coming once it does. All right. So yeah, let's hold off a little bit. Maybe if we're like a couple weeks later and Hyman still hasn't done anything, maybe we need to reassess the situation and, you know, see if there's more to it. But right now, yeah, I think it's too early to get too concerned. Let's end this first half of the show before I get to my fun draft with Ben and the Fantasy Hockey Life guys with some hot streaks and cold streaks. I want to go to Boston, okay? The Bruins have been trying out some new lines in their 4-3 win over Buffalo on Saturday. They put Craig Smith on the top line with Marchand and Bergeron. Uh, Matt Bumpasternak to play on the second line with Hall and Howla, uh, which actually Eric Howla being on the second line bumped Charlie Coyle to center the third line with Felino and DeBrusque. So that was on Saturday. Boston did also play today in a game where they beat Detroit 5-1. to one. I'm just bringing that up now, and I'm bringing up the lines over on Frozen Tools. Uh, and yeah, it looks like once again, they went with Hall, Hala, and Pasternak, and then Bergeron, Marchand, and Craig Smith. And once again, Craig Smith got a point. So he had a goal in that game on Saturday. He had an assist today on a goal uh, from Bergeron. It was assisted by Smith and Marchand. So now that's two games in a row. Seems to be going well. The Bruins had a very dominant win today. So... I guess it's two questions, right? Let's first start with Craig Smith. It's a pretty good spot, right? He's like on the top line. He's producing there. Seems like the type of player that I'd be rushing to grab. How would you compare him to like a Texier or to like a Michael Bunting who we had at the top of the Leafs list? I think right now I'd want Craig Smith over all of them. I think it's the kind of thing where like I'm less confident that Craig Smith is going to hold that spot like as long as Bunting, but for as long as he has it, give me Craig Smith because he's had really good runs in the past. He has. We've seen Craig Smith be a great third wheel complimentary player on top lines before. So I'd prefer him ahead of Texier for sure. Season long, for the same reasons you said, Elon, I'd prefer Bunting because I think Bunting is more or less guaranteed that top six spot, whereas Craig Smith is not. Or if it's a top six spot, it's not as good because it's not the top three in Boston for Craig Smith. Uh, But short term, especially with Boston more likely to play games in the near future, I will take Craig Smith as somebody that you might choose to add for Michael Bunting if you are deciding to drop him. 
Yeah, I think uh, definitely, I'm not gonna say like pause the pod, like, like, you know, I don't want to say that too often. And it's not that crazy of a thing. But I think definitely, you should be checking to see if Craig Smith is available and looking at the bottom of your roster. This is a really good spot for him. And now he has points in two straight playing with Marshawn and Bergeron. On the flip side, not great news for David Pasternak managers who were already enduring a cold stretch, right? Like Pasta's only managed two assists in his last eight games. That was going into today. Okay, the Bruins scored five goals. Got to imagine Pasta did something. Checking right now and nothing. That wasn't a bit, by the way. I didn't know. And now I'm seeing he had two shots. He was plus one. So I guess he was on the ice for a goal, but didn't get a piece of it. So that's now two assists in his last nine games. This is a really bad run for Pasternak. And now it gets even more concerning if he's not playing with Marshawn and Bergeron. Like if this lasted all season, I'd be super concerned. Of course, it's very possible that Boston just goes back to that normal top perfection line sooner rather than later. But uh, how concerned would you be right now about Pasternak if you had him? We've had a few questions. People wanted to ask us what they should do about him i'll be honest like i had him in one league and i wasn't too worried someone decided to try to buy low on him and send me an offer that like i just couldn't refuse even though i wasn't looking to trade him but i traded him and now i'm like okay well i'm kind of glad now i don't have to stress out about the fact that he just went pointless for the seventh time in his last nine games I can't blame anyone for stressing out about david pasternak and his lack of production so far this season but I'm optimistic you won't have much to stress over the rest of the way. At least you shouldn't. Like, I know this is going to be frustrating for anyone who's been frustrated by Pasternak to just hear everything's okay, but everything's okay under the hood for Pasternak. He looks exactly the way he has for the last few years, where he's averaged uh, over the course of the three seasons a 90-odd point pace. But at 5-on-5 this year so far, even though Pasternak is doing everything right, he's hit the bad variance trifecta. That's a low shooting percentage where he's shooting under 4% versus his usual 13%, nearly a 10% drop in his shooting percentage. In his points participation at 5-on-5, Pasternak is involved in just half the goals scored while he's on the ice versus the usual three quarters of the goals scored while he's on the ice. And then his on-ice shooting percentage even is down uh, fewer than 7% of the shots taken by Boston while Pasta's on the ice this season are going in versus the usual 10%. So those are the three biggest markers of variance uh, that can explain a player going unreasonably hot or unreasonably cold. And Pasta ticks all three boxes. Unfortunately for anybody dealing with Pasternak on their roster, you know, refuge can usually be taken in power play numbers. You know, if not five on five, the power play is still okay. And that's sort of keeping him afloat. But bad variance on the power play also crushing David Pasternak, where he's involved in just 43% of the goals scored while he's on the ice versus his usual 80%. All this points participation, uh, I'll give you one number to summarize it, just two secondary assists for Pasternak through 28 games. Normally, uh, he would have, I don't know, at least six or seven going by his career rates. And you can do all the math on the goal stuff too. just regress his shooting percentage, regress his points participation, regress his on ice shooting percentage. And Pasternak still looks like that 90 ish point player, maybe even better than he always has. It's just not coming to fruition. So I actually think this is a really fantastic time to go see if the Pasternak owner is so frustrated that they're willing to let him be someone else's problem and see if you can swing a deal to buy low. 
Yeah, like, I don't disagree, but also you didn't comment on the line change, right? Like, what if, yeah, like, everything okay. you're saying is true? What if, like, the problem, though, is Bruce Cassidy doesn't follow these stats? And what if he's just thinking, eh, the guy's not producing, let me change the lines. Oh, we just won 5-1. I'm a brilliant genius. Uh, let's just leave things how they are. And, like, that would clearly be a problem, right? If he wasn't playing with Marshawn and Vergeron? It would. But first off, he'll still be on the top power play. And second off, we the reason I didn't even acknowledge the line thing is because we've seen this happen before. And it's... It's never lasted a significant amount of time. So for me, actually, I'm hoping, and maybe you can tell me if this is wrongheaded, I'm hoping that the Pasternak manager like you is freaking out about that and think, oh no, his time on the top line is over. Craig Smith is doing well with Marchand Bergeron. They don't need Pasternak there. He's been demoted and he's going to stay there. Anytime we've seen Pasternak or those top three in Boston get broken up at any point, it has never, ever lasted. And there were a couple times where we thought maybe this time and it didn't. And this doesn't feel like one of those times where I was like, oh, maybe this time at all. So I really don't think it will if I had to take a guess. Okay, I hear you. But maybe this time... No, just kidding. Okay, so uh, let's put it this way then. Obviously, yeah, if you could buy low, that's great. But obviously it depends how low. Like, who are you trading? Like, for example, before I asked you about Tarasenko versus Line A. You said you'd rather have Tarasenko. So if you have Tarasenko, goals in five straight games... I feel like you yeah. might be able to pull Pasternak for Tarasenko. Do you see so you send that offer right now? Yeah, I would send it right away. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, let us know. Tweet us at Keeping Carlson if you take that advice. And I'll be really curious to know if anyone uh, agrees with you or, like, you know, is convinced by you. I mean, everything you're saying makes sense. My concern is Bruce Cassidy, you know, not following these low variance markers and, I don't know, changing things up. But uh, like you say, it's happened before. So sky isn't falling. Maybe you could turn your amazing Tarasenko draft pick into an amazing uh, David Pasternak trade acquisition. Okay, so one more hot streak to close things out. I want to go to Nashville. I already talked about this guy with Lewis on Thursday, but once again, I think I need to bring up Tanner Janot on Nashville because he scored two goals versus Chicago yesterday, bringing him to nine points his last eight games and three points in three games since he was bumped back to line three with everyone healthy. Like When Lewis and I were talking about him, we were talking about a hot streak guy who's now in the bottom six, so probably not worth holding and a good potential sell but if you didn't sell if you held him first of all you're happy because you've gotten more production out of him and also now it's like we're seeing that he's still potentially able to produce in the bottom six unless you're gonna say you know this is completely unsustainable i i wonder if this is just a guy that's going to be able to continue this amazing season regardless of where he plays in the lineup of course it's also just been three games i'm just curious to get your take on tanner Janot after he's continued this hot streak and is now like i said nine points in his last eight games i think tanner Janot is actually good i really do i think he's at least actually good as a middle sixer he has four goals on his last 12 shots which has grabbed a lot of attention and of course that shooting percentage isn't sustainable but Janot looks like a solid middle sixer and in a year where middle sixers like ryan hartman and marcus felino have broken out for sustained periods of time i can't can't just write off someone like Tanner Janot, especially because he is putting up hits as he goes, right? Even if the points aren't coming, at least he's helping you in the hits column. The, there's definitely weak deployment for Tanner Janot, but he does a lot. And you and I were talking about him off air before the show, and you called him the poor man's Marcus Felino when I brought up that comparison. But I'll put it this way, Janot is on pace for just three fewer points than Felino this season on a 50-point Full season pace versus Felino's 53 point pace. Of course, Janot is playing with uh, Sissons and Yakov Trenin, who neither one of those are Kevin Fiala. So I'll, I will still give the edge to Marcus Felino, but I, I like poor man's just seems a little harsh for Janot. I think he's closer to Felino than being like the light version of him. 
you know, say what you will, but Colton Sissons has seven points in his last five games, while Kevin Fiala has... Well, actually, he's been he scored three goals in his last couple games, but still fewer points in his last five. So that technically, you could say that it's better playing with Sissons than with Fiala. But obviously, no, I agree with you. <laughs> I love but, that. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying that Colton Sissons, by the way, may, like at one point, maybe we have to say that Colton Sissons now becomes interesting because he's playing with Tanner Cheneau. Like he's on a hot streak. Like if you if we you know we were ranking who Craig Smith, Texier, Bunting, where does like Cheneau and Colton Sissons fit in this if they're also out there in free agency? I would have Jeannot just above Texier and Sissons below Texier. And the reason for that is when I look at Jeannot's numbers, like I said, things are healthy. Like his shot rates are nice. His expected goal rates are nice. He seems, like I said, to be actually contributing to the offense that's happening around him. Whereas Sissons in his numbers, I mean, he doesn't shoot a whole lot. That's not his bread and butter. So his expected goal rates are lower too. But he's seen, I don't know, I'm just not as sold on Sissons' game as a whole. Like maybe it's because we've seen more of Colton Sissons in his career than we have in Tanner Janot, who's just, I, I don't think he's played 50 NHL games yet, whereas Sissons has six or seven NHL seasons under his belt. But I just said we shouldn't write off a mid-sixer. So maybe I'm being a little rash in writing off Colton Sissons, but I would rather Alex Texier just ahead of him. But I, I, they're probably interchangeable, especially if Juno keeps doing really well. It's just weird to want to invest. Like I can look at Texier in Columbus and see he's playing with Gustav Nyquist. And I look at Jeannot, and he's playing with, again, Sissons and Trennan, which just uh, doesn't excite me and doesn't strike me as a line that can keep sustaining their production. It's crazy right now. You've got Granlin producing on one line, Johansson producing on another line, and then this other line of who we would have called randoms doing really well on another line for Nashville. They're finally getting production. Yeah, this is a good team. Then they also have Roman Yossi having like a Norris caliber season. And uh, UC Saros has been no slouch. So I think that Nashville is a team that people should definitely be paying attention to now that they have this scary-ish third line. Uh, Brian, so that's it for what we've got for everyone for this portion of the show. It's been a blast talking to you again after taking a couple weeks off. I guess we didn't fully take the time off because we had that really fun patron cast, which I really enjoyed. And thanks so much to the patrons, by the way, for all your support over this past year. You've made this year a lot of fun and you've helped power this podcast. I hope you enjoyed that patron cast. Uh, yeah, so you know what? I'm not even going to do a plug to ask other people to become patrons. I just want to take this time to thank our current patrons and say, you people are the best, and we're going to do everything we can to make it worth your investment in us over the rest of this season and, you know, starting next season for the rest of 2022. So thank you so much. Uh, if you like the show, obviously go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, all that good stuff. And you know what, Brian? I don't even need to ask you to read the credits because I actually did that at the end of part two. So your job is done here, Brian. If you, Unless you have any final words, I'm going to cut to uh, what's coming up next. I can't wait to hear it, Elon. Just you thank the patrons for being patrons. I also want to thank the listeners. I know this is a topsy-turvy time for fantasy. And around this time of year, some of you might start it like start to feel like fantasy is hard in a drag we're gonna do our best to keep it fun for you all season long and we always want your feedback so you can write us at keeping carlson and how we can do that you can do us a favor a big favor and write us a really glowing positive five-star review on apple podcasts or any other podcast service and uh, just stick with us and we're uh, we're really happy to have you with us for the ride for another calendar year okay so with that brian here's the plan we're gonna cut to a break 
And then after the break, we're going to go into my show with the Fantasy Hockey Life guys and Ben, where we did the draft. It's all going to be explained, so I don't need to really like promote it anymore, but it's going to be the first half is going to be on this podcast right now, and then you'll go check out the Fantasy Hockey Life episode for the second half. I will say that I have a pick in this draft. I don't want to spoil anything, but I made a pick. I think it might be on the other side of the show on the, the episode that's going to come out on the Fantasy Hockey Life feed, but I made a pick that I kind of got mocked for, and that player just scored a goal. So uh, just saying. Uh, you know. Also, by the way, I had some players who did really well yesterday, and I just want you to know also that this draft was done Saturday afternoon. My Toronto pick was made before the Toronto game. Just keep that in mind as well. But okay, I guess no one cares at this point. So let's just uh, wrap this up. Enjoy part two of this show with our friends Victor, Jesse, and Ben. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special event, a crossover episode of the Keevan Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast and the Fantasy Hockey Life Podcast. We're going to be doing a really cool draft today. But before we get into the plan for that, let me introduce the guests on this panel. So there's myself, Elon Dubrovsky, with me, fellow Keeping Carlson feed host of The Short Shifts, Ben Burnett. Welcome back, Ben. Thank you, Elon. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to hang out with you and uh, all of our listeners. Happy holidays to you, my friend. Uh, happy holidays to you, too. Ben, is it going to be weird for you to do a show that's longer than 30 minutes? Generally, yeah. you always keep it short. Yeah, I had to make uh, the three of you guys agree to let me have a little nap about halfway through so I could get through <laughs> the second half. So I should be ready after the, after the mid-game nap. Right. Yeah. You're the Olympians that do those like 100 meter dashes and not the long marathons. But we're going to stretch you today and see how you do. But you've done this draft format before, so I think you'll be okay. And then with me, like I said, the two fellows from the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast, you know and love them very well. It's Victor Nuno and Jesse Severe. Victor, how you doing? Welcome back to Keeping Carlson, our, our resident prospect expert here once again. Thanks so much, Elon. It's, it's so awesome to be back and really enjoying uh, hanging out with you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, Happy New Year to everyone. This is our way of kicking in the new year. And I hope it's uh, hope everyone out there is safe and enjoying it. Yeah, uh, basically, our best way of celebrating the new year is to tell our family to go and occupy yourselves because we're locking ourselves here in this recording to do a fantasy draft. And then, of course, also joining me, Jesse Severe, my former tier one cacuffle competitor. And now we're here to compete in a new draft. That's right. Well, it's very uh, great to be on with the captain of the mothership, Elon, and uh, the guy who I believe is now uh, leading a cover band of Kenny Loggins, uh, Ben Burnett, from the looks of him on the uh, the Zoom chat today. <laughs> yeah, I guess people will have to uh, we'll have to get Ben back on another live show just so he can show off his his cool hairdo that he's going the flow that he's rocking for this draft. <laughs> uh, all right, so here's the plan for the show. We've done this format before. This is going to be a draft where we're each going to pick one player from every NHL team. And the gen rules are basic. It's just going to be points only. We're predicting who are going to be the best players to roster on your fantasy teams for the rest of the season with one catch, which is the only players available are players who are less than, what is it, 50% rostered on Fantrax, mm -hmm. which uh, really cuts off the available options. And Fantrax is a little bit different than Yahoo. I felt like some of the options are even, it's even harder to find good players on some of these teams than you would potentially on Yahoo, because I think Fantrax is a lot of dynasty leagues. So like a Lafreniere is not eligible to be drafted in this draft. And I will go through it as we go. So basically how it works is we're each going to pick one player per team. So whoever's turn it is to start a round picks the team, picks the first player from that team, and then the rest of us go and pick other players from that team. And then someone else go.
goes and picks the next team. And you'll figure it out as we go. It's a really fun draft format that we've done on Keeping Carlson a few times. And so with that, how about we just get started? And then hopefully it'll be clear along the way. In the end, we're all going to end up with 32 players. Oh, I should also mention it's going to be 22 forwards and 10 defense for each of us. So we're not counting goalies and we'll have to keep track. As we, as we do the draft, we can mention where, where people stand there. Uh, so with that, I think we're good to get going. And uh, Jesse and Victor made me aware. Oh, by the way, thanks a lot to Victor and Jesse for setting this up. Uh, and oh, I should also mention that part one is going to be here on Keeping Carlson. Part two is going to be on the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast. So after you listen to this, you definitely will want to go and download the Fantasy Hockey Life episode. Well, just subscribe to their podcast. You should be subscribed anyway, if you're good at fantasy hockey, okay? But uh, if you're not, then go subscribe and make sure to download part two of the episode where you find out uh, how I dominate the rest of the draft. Okay, we're going to start, and actually, I'm starting. I've got the first pick. I was in, I didn't ask for this, but I was I was told that I get the first pick of the draft. And so when I'm looking here, it's like an interesting strategy, right? Because first of all, I need to think about defense. But second of all, uh, I was looking at teams where there's like a big disparity between the best available team, like best available player, and then like the third or fourth, because I don't want to get, you know, screwed as opposed to on some teams, all four players seem pretty similar to me. So even if there's a player I like better than the guy I'm going to take, I'm less inclined to want to take that guy. And so to me, there was one team that really stood out where I see one good player and then garbage. And that is the St. Louis Blues. There are so many ineligible players on this team. Uh, Tarasenko, Buchnevich, Perron, Krug, O'Reilly, Kairou, Falk, Shen, Thomas, Robert Thomas, who I, who I like, and we just talked about uh, on the last short shifts. Uh, Barbashev. I can't even pick Barbashev, okay? Colton Pareko. All those names that I just said are not eligible. We could only pick from the remaining available blues. And to me, that leaves only one guy that's at least somewhat reasonable because he plays on the top power play, generally either in the top six, or I guess the blues are deep enough that they have a top line, but he gets decent deployment. I don't know if this guy is more than like a 50-point player, but I think that might be 20 points more than the next available option. So I'm going to go with Brandon Saad, currently playing with O'Reilly and Perron on the top line. Uh, so lock me in, first pick of the draft, Brandon Saad, and then that brings it over to Ben, who gets second pick on St. Louis. I will say I did really want to pick Saad first because he's line one, power play one, which I don't think we're going to see too often uh, the rest of this draft. Um, however, I as long as I wasn't picking third or fourth, I think is how I felt about St. Louis, because I don't mind grabbing Scott Perunovic, uh, second overall here. Um, you know, I think when doing this type of a draft, we're picking 40 defensemen that are by nature going to be like ranked 50th through 90th or whatever in, in your fantasy hockey rankings. And that is pretty much a dead zone in terms of fantasy value. So it doesn't really bother me to go after power play handcuffs. And Scott Perunovic is about as good of a power play handcuff as you can get on a team where if it's kind of a pretty clear ascension that you can see there. So it doesn't bother me to grab one of my 10 defensemen from St. Louis. And I'm going to pass the third pick to Jesse. Well, uh, it's getting rough here, guys. Uh, Elon was not lying about this team and their incredible lack of depth in terms of scoring. <laughs> I'm going to go to the guy who hasn't had a point in about a month and a half, and that would be Tyler Bozak, uh, probably my best option at this point of several very bad options. So closing, holding my nose, and we'll see what Tyler Bozak can do for me. Yeah, you guys are right. This is not a team that I wanted to pick last on, so... Thanks so much for that. <laughs> um, 
There are a couple of decent options, though. I think that, uh, you know, the, the issue is that Nathan Walker and Logan Brown, the two that I'm considering, are guys who haven't played a lot. And we are talking rest of season here. And so I'm a little worried that those guys might just not even play that much. So that has me a bit worried. Um, and it would be very on brand for me to take a prospect instead of uh, a more veteran guy. So that's probably what I'm going to do, though, just because there aren't really other options. I mean, you're talking about Clem Costin, Sunquist, James Neal, Scandella. That's pretty much it. So I guess I will take Logan Brown. Thanks a lot, guys. And I guess it comes to me next. Yeah, Ben, yes. you're up okay. now to start this next round. And we're going to keep the same order all the way through, just changing who starts each round. It's always going to be me, then Ben, then Jesse, then Victor. So Ben, you've got first pick in this round. I'm going to have fourth pick. So please be gentle. Sure. I'm going to pick a team that uh, also, I would not put this player at the top of my list if I were ranking all of these players. But because of the upside uh, playing with one of the elite players in the league as he is right now. I'm going to go to Edmonton. When I looked at Edmonton, there are a ton of players who I would have loved to draft who are not available, including obviously McDavid, Dreisaitl, Darnell Nurse, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Tyson Berry, Zach Hyman, Jesse P- Yessi Puyuyarvi, in fact, excuse me, and Evan Bouchard, who I think is an interesting option, but at 83% rostered is not going to be available in too many fan tracks leagues. Uh, so I'm instead going to go and grab Kyler Yamamoto on line two in Edmonton. I believe that would take us to me. Yamamoto would be the best pick on this team. Uh, <laughs> boy, this is a depressing draft so far. I am going to go over and uh, I'm going to take my first hit on a defenseman. And my goodness, I can't believe I'm doing this with the second pick on this team. But I'm going to take Duncan Keith. Uh, hoping against hope that maybe he will do something here in the second half. And because I have to have 10 D-men by the end of this draft, on to Victor. Yeah, this is actually one of those teams that I I didn't mind so much taking uh, or picking, you know, near near the near the bottom. Uh, I did have a couple of those guys kind of lined up. And the nice thing about the D on this team is at least, you know, they, they should score a lot, right? So that's that's one thing. But I think here I'm just going to go with Old Faithful. Sometimes gets in the top six, sometimes goes on streaks. Zach Cassian is who I'm going to take from Edmonton. Okay, uh, so that leaves me with not too many options. I'm seeing here that Ryan Eugen Hopkins is day-to-day today. So Devin Shore has been playing with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto. But I don't think I'm going to take the swing on Devin Shore. But who does that leave me with? I guess that leaves me with Warren Fogle who got a crack in the top six also, just like Cassian did recently. Uh, a few people added him this week in their leagues. I guess Edmonton had a decent enough schedule, and he did not reward them at all. He had two goals in the game against Seattle on the 18th and hasn't done anything since. Barely plays. It's a terrible pick. But what am I going to do? That's what I'm taking. Warren Fogle. And now it's uh, Jesse who gets to take first on a team. I will lead this one off and I will do it with another team where I like one player better than the others uh, down in the desert where they won't pay the bills. You can't take Jacob Chikorin. You can't take Shane Goss or Clayton Keller, but darn it. I can take Phil Kessel and we are playing with the rule that if a player is traded during the uh, rest of the season, keep in mind, we're going by total points. They are allowed to continue their stats for uh, the team that they get traded to. So maybe old Phil will get, traded we know he's going to keep playing every game 
and hopefully he'll put up a couple more points for me. So Phil Kessel in the desert and on to Victor. Yeah, that was one of those, I think, no-brainers, Jesse. Good call. Um, This team does not score a whole lot, but they do have a couple of good options. And I appreciate that you picked this team because I like my second best pick, which is Lawson Krause. I feel like he's, well, he hits a lot, which doesn't help us in this format. But I think he, when uh, Kessel does get traded, might get a little bit more ice time and be featured a little bit more. And he has has had some decent production at times. So I'm hoping that Krause... uh, can can do something rest of season um so that's my pick on to elon yeah so i don't mind this actually at all like kessel definitely jumped out as being a guy who is you know the highest value guy he's been on a bit of a hot streak lately but there's another player who's actually been on a hot streak that no one's really talking about because he has only played 11 games this year but in his last five games he has four points and that's nick schmaltz who was injured for a lot of the year but when he's been healthy lately he's been playing with clayton keller one of the rare non-eligible players from arizona in this draft so i'm very happy to get schmaltz with a third pick over on arizona leaving ben with uh grimacing emoji so ben who are you going to take there fourth in arizona well elon it's funny to have it work out this way because prior to the show i was trying to uh, make sure that johan larson was mentioned (laughs) on the spreadsheet because he's the only other player that's been getting solid deployment on arizona throughout the season and you made the joke that you were going to prevent me from getting johan larson and i was really crossing my fingers because when i look at arizona i actually I targeted Schmaltz above Kessel for the reason that you said, or rather because of his deployment and because of, like you said, he's been on a nice little hot streak, but he's playing with Clayton Keller at even strength and on the power play. I just want to give a shout out to Nick Schmaltz. He looks good to me, uh, but I will be taking Johan Larson to enjoy the uh, the inside joke the four of us were doing pre-show. Uh, you always want to have inside jokes as part of a, a part of a podcast. I, I will mention that Travis Boyd jumped out at me as someone that's been doing a little better than I expected, which is like not saying much, but uh, I think he's been getting good deployment. He's currently on some probably code protocol or something, but uh, Boyd has, what, what was it again? Like, yeah, he had a goal and two assists in the last game. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, good pick, Johan Larson. I don't think that uh, the Boyd versus Larson decision is going to affect things too much. Okay, so uh, Victor goes first now. Yeah, Boyd stood out to me too, um, I, but I couldn't bring myself to pick him because uh, this is still a little bit of an unknown. So yeah, I am going to pick now and i'm gonna go to at the time of this recording we're almost uh where the winter classic is going to be in minnesota that's where we're going right now we're going to minnesota and we are not going to be able to pick from the likes of of course kirill kaprizov who is owned everywhere or even kevin fiala's or your matt dumba's or yoel erickson Eck. not even your star ryan hartman or matt zuccarello marcus felino can't even get on board with Alex Goligoski or Jared Spurgeon. So we're dipping down into the depths here. And uh, to me, this this pick stands out, stands alone as someone that I think has a pretty good shot of being um, one of the one of the better picks, especially depending on how the injuries to the other defensemen go, because I'm picking Jonas Brodeen. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. He was someone I was targeting if I if he would have fallen to me for my next pick. But alas, yeah, there's a bit of a dip here. Like you said, some of these teams, there's a lot of players available. Like Arizona, we had some top liners. And now on Minnesota, there's really the dark depths. Uh, I'm looking at two different players right now. I think I'm going to go with Jordan Greenway, who most recently is playing on a... Uh, Actually, you know what? I'm changing. I'm doing... I don't know if we had a rule about this. I'm going to switch to uh, Freddie Gaudreau. 
Because I, I don't know why. I don't know why. Just uh, I guess he's been he was playing with Fiala somewhat recently. I think he's getting more power play time. Neither of them are too exciting. Okay, I'm saying Goudreau. Let's see if uh, I blew up here Ben's spot. I, I guess you can't really blow up a spot because we all know who's available here. But yeah, give me Goudreau. I was I had Goudreau above Greenway uh, because I think mainly because Greenway is day to day, so it's unclear if his return will impact Goudreau's usage. But yeah, he's been getting good exposure to Kaprizov and Fiala throughout the season, at least at even strength. Um, spending some time mostly with Fiala, I suppose. But I I'd, I'd take Goudreau if he was available to me. But at this at this level, I don't see a huge difference between the two. So I'll take uh, Jordan Greenway and leave it to Jesse to finish us off. I don't know what's happening here because Victor went to Minnesota and he didn't take either of his favorite prospects in Minnesota, Marco Rossi or Matthew Boldy. Now, Boldy broke an ankle, so I I, I don't know what his uh, future is, but Marco Rossi is destroying the AHL right now. And I don't know, maybe there's something out there that he's not going to come up this season, but uh, as long as we're gambling on these low upside guys who are left here, I'm going to go Marco Rossi. Hope he comes up and has a nice little streak at the end of the year. Wow. So high risk, potential reward pick, I guess. Uh, I'm curious to see how that'll work out for sure. So I think it's my pick now to start a new round. Uh, we're four rounds in. And I think at this point, I'm just going to go who I th- with who I think is the best player available I just have to go with Nino Niederreiter on the Carolina Hurricanes. And sure, they have some other good players that you can draft, so I'm not really hurting anyone too badly. But I just want to get Nino and shout out. He's been playing with Aho and Tara Vinen on the top line, you know, second power play deployment. He had a goal today against Columbus, bringing him to 12 points in his last 12 games. So considering I previously picked Warren Fogle, uh, it's nice to get a star. Well, I mean, a star relative for this draft, but a Nino Niederreiter is just someone that I couldn't let sit any longer so then we go to ben who will pick the next guy from carolina i think i've left you some nice choices here yeah i don't mind picking from this team at all i do think that um elon did you read out the players that we can't pick oh i apologize okay so yeah obviously i would have taken aho Sveshnikov, Teravainen, uh, they're obviously not eligible. Ne- neither is Trocek, Nechas, and then on defense, you can't take D'Angelo or Slavin. Uh, but even with that, I think that Carolina's just a deep team. So you have some good options, Ben. I do have some good options here. You're right. And uh, I think I'm going to go with a player who is not currently getting the best deployment, but I, I, I don't mind his chances at moving up the lineup a little uh, take that back. I was going to, I will just say for the listener's sake, I was going to pick Seth Jarvis. I'm going to switch. I'm going to pick a defenseman instead. I'm going to go Brett Pesci. Well, uh, I would have said that Ben was about to blow up my spot, but hey, I was going to be next anyway. So I will take Seth Jarvis, who's having himself a really nice rookie season, even though there's another very tempting player on the board who I would love to take. Uh, I am going to go Seth Jarvis uh, for the win here and hope he keeps up his uh, great early career run. On to Victor. This is definitely, I mean, they are a deep team, but this is definitely a team where I did not want to pick fourth. I really wanted Brett Pesci. I think it's probably a bit surprising to people that Pesci is doing as well as he is. He's not someone that we really expect a lot of offense from, but um, Carolina being a deep team and they kind of deploy all their players pretty evenly. uh, I think that's part of what's making him pretty good. But I'm going to get on board with the Jesperi Kakaniemi revenge tour, and I'm going to take take Jesperi. Which kicks it over to me, I believe, for the first pick uh, in our next round. And I am going to take us 
to my uh, despised New York Islanders, where it doesn't really bother me to pick above fourth, but I really just don't want to pick fourth here. Uh, I'm going to grab Josh Bailey, who's been playing with Matt Barzell since before the uh, since before the holiday shutdown. He's been having an okay time, and I just I want to make sure that I get somebody who's in that top six because I know that. The Islanders don't score a ton, but usually when they do, it's it's one of those top two lines. So I'll grab Josh Bailey. Oh, and I should say that if I could, I would have grabbed players like Matt Barzal, Noah Dobson, Anders Lee, Oliver Wallstrom, Brock Nelson, or Ryan Pulak. I am going to go with a man on the New York Islanders who has let me down many times before, but I just will not quit him. And that is Anthony Beauvillier. Uh, it is just the lasting memory of him torching the Washington Capitals in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Beauvillier is the man, uh, the 24-year-old, who I am going to take out of this Islanders system. This is definitely one of those teams I circled that uh, I think I think feel like it's pretty horizontal. Um, I do agree with what Ben said, though. I mean, you got Josh Bailey, who should be good. He has decent deployment <laughs> and uh, probably should be decent, even if he hasn't done too much. And uh, aside from that, uh, yeah, back to the Rossi pick. I didn't pick Rossi because I worry about guys like that not playing a whole lot the rest of the season. And this is not point pace or anything. This is just total points rest of season. But I'm looking at a guy in Kiefer Bellows who's, you know, played a dozen or so games now and seems to be finding a footing in the lineup. And he's, you know, got half point per game pace, same as Josh Bailey. Not obviously the track record in the league, but um, I'm going to take a little bit of a swing on Kiefer Bellows here for the Islanders and on to Elon. Yeah, that's a fun pick. I think I would have taken Bellows too, even though he's a bit of a risk. Now I just get stuck with like the most boring pick, someone that I know is going to get big minutes every game. Hopefully he'll cash in. Every once in a while he goes on a bit of a run. Give me JG Pajot, fourth on the Islanders. You know what? Uh, I'll take it as a fourth pick on the Islanders. I I feel like it could have gone worse with a different team. So I appreciate uh, Ben not making it too hard on me. And now Jesse gets first pick in a round. Let's move over to Philadelphia because I think there's a bit of a break here for me, although there's a couple of D-men who I can see others going for, but I'm going to take the highest scoring person on this list. Now, keeping in mind, Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny, Ryan Ellis, Ivan Provorov, Cam Atkinson, Joel Farabee, Keith Yandel, and Rasmus Ristolainen are off the board. So I'm going to go with James Van Riemsdyk as my pick for the Philadelphia Flyers and on to Victor for next. I appreciate you doing that. That gives me a couple of decent options here. I was really, I feel like I'm I'm at the point though, where I have to start considering that I might end up with some really crappy D <laughs> because uh, I feel like I just want to pick the next best forward. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a couple of good options here. I guess I won't blow up um, whoever's spot, but I'm a little worried about this Couturier injury and how long that might last and what opportunity uh, that might provide. Um, so he was so good for so much of the season. Uh, I just have to, I just have to go with Derek Broussard, which seems strange, but uh, I'm going to go with Broussard here for, for Philly and hope that he can keep that magic of, you know, back when he was a, I don't know, Ranger, a Senator have some relevance uh-huh. again. <laughs> he had like a good half season with the senators. I think his, he was all with the Rangers and usually in the playoffs, he was super clutch in the playoffs, but he had some decent uh, regular season seasons as well. 
the Sens uh, traded Mika Zibanejad to get the services of Derek Broussard. So that went that went pretty well. Okay, yeah, this is definitely a situation now where I've made six picks and I still don't have a defenseman. I'm going to need to end up with 10 of them. So there's someone on Philly who I like. I guess, oh, I guess after me, there's only one other person left to pick, which is Ben. So I'll just throw it out there that probably I'm giving Ben a gift uh, with Kevin Hayes on the board. So we'll see if he follows that lead. But yeah, just give me Travis Sanheim. He's been actually not that bad lately i actually had him in a dynasty league with uh victor like victor's league that he organizes i had him and i traded him as part of a package to get Sidney crosby it was like sandheim and texier and both sandheim and texier actually are doing really well right now but obviously i'm still happy with crosby i also sent a pick anyways sandheim five points in his last five games he's getting really big minutes he played 26 minutes and a half in philly's last game he didn't get a point in that game but clearly he's getting leaned on a little bit which is interesting considering all the defensemen that they acquired in the offseason then they end up leaning on Sanheim but uh yeah only 10 points in 31 games but I need D so that's what I'm going with I'm really excited to get Kevin Hayes here I uh I would have taken him second all things being equal um I felt like I had kind of blown it not taking JVR prior to this when I had first pick so really excited to grab uh Kevin Hayes here and uh at fourth overall I feel like I I I got lucky dodged a bullet yeah you 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 got a good one there, Ben. I I I really debated. I was between Hayes and uh, and Broussard. Probably should have gone Hayes. I mean, he hasn't played that many games, and he might. Um, he looks like he's he's doing pretty well. And um, the injuries are a little worrisome, like the early season injuries. I know he hasn't missed any time more recently, but definitely that did give me a bit of pause. But that I would have had to pause it too. Once it got to four, it's like oh, that's an easy one now at this point. Yeah, yeah. In your position, that's a no brainer. Yeah, and this is tough. Um, I feel like I want to go to a team and and pick a D, but there really aren't like <laughs> really aren't any high end D out there uh, at this roster percent. So I think I'm going to go to one of the teams that I'm really excited about, one of their top players, and just uh, and just go with that instead uh, because we have the equivalent of Jack Eichel available on this team and that's who he was traded for and Alex Tuck, which is uh, I know I'm joking with you, Buffalo fans. Sorry not to turn the knife too much, but uh, Alex Tuck does look awesome and he probably should get all the deployment that he always deserved and has looked pretty good so far. Um, two points in three games. So let's uh, let's put Alex Tuck on the board for me. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I don't mind that. Like I do like Tuck. And he wasn't getting top power play in his first game, I think, but he did today. And yeah, he scored. Didn't he score? It was Buffalo against Boston and Tuck. Yeah, goal and an assist. So clearly he's settling in nicely. But you know what? He's uh, with some other people on that top line and top power play that are available here. I don't think you listed the Buffalo players available. The only ones that are not... Oh, yes. The only ones not available are Dalin and Olafson. And then I guess everyone else, aside from those two, are less than 50% rostered on Fantrax. So here's a team where we get a lot to choose from. So fine. You get Alex Tuck. Give me the guy who I used to always make fun of everyone for bringing up all the time. And actually, I like all three of the options here. I actually had Buffalo at the bottom of my list because I felt equally about all four. Uh, so hopefully I'm not blowing it here. But give me Jeff Skinner. 
uh, who's, you know, top line, top power play, having a decent enough season, especially compared to what he used to do. Uh, in today's game, he scored a goal and had five shots. So, yeah, I'll lock in Skinner. And then, Ben, you get to take... Oh, there's a player here that you absolutely hate, and it would be really funny if you took him. So I wonder if that's where you're going to go. Elon, I'm wondering if you missed the Short Shifts episode, because my our most recent episode, I took a Mia Culpa on the I know. Player. So if you do a Mia Culpa, what does that mean? That, that means I can't... Okay, you're right. A Mia Culpa means that now we well, can't make fun of anymore. I listened to the episode you did with uh, Lewis, and you guys... No, I mean, you could, you could tease me for my initial uh, take or whatever, but it's the, the... I can't say you still hate him. Yeah, well, I just... It would be it, factually inaccurate. You okay. Could, it, last I, time. That's the last time. I'm done with this joke now. <laughs> Go ahead. Take Ocposa. Thank you very much. I'm not going to take Ocposa. <laughs> of course, because you hate I, him. No, I'm just well, kidding. Well, <laughs> and frankly, I, I missed Jeff Skinner on this list somehow, which is kind of an embarrassing thing. Uh, thing to admit, but I was ready for you to take Tage Thompson here, and I was going to take Kyle Lockposo until you mentioned Jeff Skinner. Anyway, I'll take Thompson, and uh, presumably, uh, I guess Jesse will probably be trying to decide between a D-man or uh, or taking the uh, the Ocposo himself. Oh, yeah, it would be a, a decent time to take a D-man. I mean, Buffalo is the least picked over team in the league. But I think I will side with the Buffalo Sabres leading scorer, Kyle Ocposo, at this point and go ahead and take him and run off with it. Okay, so now it's over to me, I believe, for a first pick in this round. Uh, This whole D thing is always so frustrating because it's like I need them. But there's also some teams where I think the forwards are so much better. So I'm just going to take a risk here and go with another forward. To me, this is another... Uh, St. Louis situation where this team, I'm talking about the Winnipeg Jets here, just have so many unavailable players. Uh, just to tell you, everyone who I, I'm not allowed to take, Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, Mark Scheifele, Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, Blake Wheeler, Andrew Kopp, and then on defense, three of the defense are gone, Neil Pionk, Josh Morrissey, and Nate Schmidt. So really, if you take a look at the remaining players, there's, again, just like with um, Brandon Saad, I only see one top sixer left in the picture for me. And not that I think he's so amazing, but Paul Stasny's been lining up most recently with Shifley and Ehlers. Uh, He gets second power play deployment. And you know what? He actually hasn't been so bad recently, especially in this last game against St. Louis, where he had two goals and an assist. So, you know, for a draft like this, I guess I'll take Paul Stasny in the first pick of a round, which is not something I thought I'd ever say. But here we are. So now over to Ben for the second pick on Winnipeg. Congrats, Elon. And I got to say, I feel like I'm doing pretty well on the defensive side. Uh, This is going to be my third defenseman that I get a chance to pick. And uh, I think all things being equal, looking at points, I just don't see a reason why he couldn't pace with roughly at roughly the same pace for the the other forwards who are available, uh, including Stasny, to be honest. I'm going to take Logan Stanley. Wow. It's uh, this is the we hate ourselves draft. And I think we have proven it at this point. Uh, with the types of guys we're going to do. But I am also going to attempt to fill up my decor with former Washington Capitol and extremely mediocre uh, defenseman Brendan Dillon, who at least has seven points so far this season. <laughs> Better that than nothing. So Brendan Dillon for me. Oh, man, I was so hoping you wouldn't do that because <laughs> this team, this was a good pick, Elon, because Stastny is far and head and shoulders above the rest of the crowd here, even though it's kind of a sad crowd. Um, but yeah, that's uh, I was hoping you would take anyone but Dylan because Stanley and Dylan were the only other two that I had much interest in. 
And there literally aren't any other D unless I went for Villa Hainola, which I would love for him to be playing for the Jets. I think lots of Jets fans wish that he would get in there, but he is not, I don't think, going to play much. So that would be a wasted pick. So I guess I'll just have to take Sveshnikov the lesser um, because uh, Andre's older brother, who's not as good, uh, Evgeny, and hope that he continues some more than the modest production of like eight points and 30 games that he has so far. But yeah, give me Evgeny Sveshnikov. And I guess it's back to me. And I'm sort of, I'm doing the same sort of dance that you guys are doing between trying to decide if we start going after, start swinging on the uh, the big D-men who are available or or sort of taking it as the draft comes to us. But I'm going to grab a player who I I just picked up on a few waiver wires these past few weeks over in Vancouver. And so obviously I can't go after big names like, um, like Quinn Hughes. Uh, I can't go after JT Miller or Elias Pettersson, Connor Garland, Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, OEL, Niels Hoaglander, all unavailable. Even Niels, 51% rostered on fan tracks, killing me. Uh, but I'm going to go with Tanner Pearson, who's been pretty decent, uh, four points in his last five games, getting 17, 18 minutes a night under Coach Boudreaux, feeling just fine with the tan man. Let's keep those D coming in. And I, I'm going to take Tyler Myers of Vancouver, who at least has nine goal, uh, nine, nine assists this year and 50 shots with no goals. Doggone it, one of them will go in eventually for Tyler Myers. So he is going to be joining uh, Squad Jesse and on to Victor. Yeah, this oh man. This is one of those teams that I was pretty much fine with picking whoever because I, I don't think there's great options, even though I do agree, Ben, that Pearson was was the top pick here. Um, and I think I have to take a D and I would have taken Myers, but Luke Shen is someone who plays and might look into a point every now and then. So um, you know, he's obviously good for bangs in leagues that uh, count that and this format we're not, but uh, you know, it, He's someone obviously who, who could be a streamer and a decent week. And it does seem like Vancouver is getting more goals, scoring more and playing better. So maybe more points will trickle into someone like Luke Shen. Elon? Yeah. So, I mean, I only have one D still and I'm going to need to have nine more, but you're leaving me with Kyle Burrows and Tucker Poolman. So I probably am just going to go with another forward here. And it's someone who's not producing at all, but he is getting good deployment at least. And his last game, he played on the line with Patterson and Connor Garland. So I'm talking about Vasily Podkolzin, who maybe will, you know, whatever, take his lessons he learned from the first half of his rookie season and apply them in the second half. So yeah, give me Vasily as my fourth pick here. And now Jesse leads off around. Oh, several ways we could go here. Several ways we can go. I'm going to go over to another team where I think there's a little bit of a break, and that's the Ottawa Senators. And I'm going to take Connor Brown. He of 17 points in 24 games. Oh, let's hope that Connor Brown is uh, able to do something here in the second half of the year. And on to Victor. That's definitely who I wanted with my first pick from Ottawa. So good job, Jesse. Uh, I... There was actually a D that I really wanted on this team until I realized that he basically hasn't played <laughs> in a while. Um, so I won't spoil that for anyone, but um, I think they're pretty slim pickings here. Uh, not sure I want to go with the D. And there is a guy who I think is pretty streaky, and maybe he can get on a streak, and that is Tyler Ennis. And so I'll go with another forward here, Tyler Ennis from 
Ottawa, if they ever play a game again um, with all these cancellations up in Canada, maybe they'll just have like a game every other day for the rest of the season. And maybe that'll be good for someone like Tyler. Yeah, I'm actually a little bit surprised. I thought if I was coming on a draft pod with the Fantasy Hockey Life guys, you guys would be picking away at all the young prospects, and I'd be taking the Tyler Ennises and the Connor Browns. Uh, but I just got Vasily Podkolzin, and now give me, I guess, Alex Formanton, right? He uh, had a goal and an assist in Ottawa's last game, which was a million years ago against Philly. And... uh He's on a, in his last game, he played on the line with Stutzla and Connor Brown. I know Josh Norris now. What is he in the code protocol? I think, or yeah, so he's going to be out. So Stutzla's going to the top line. So that second line's not going to be too, too exciting. But I mean, I don't know. I guess there's a risk that Formington gets sent down, but it seems like someone who's in the best deployment of the available people in this draft. So I'm not too sad about this. I do need D, but maybe next round. <laughs> ben, your shot. I think this is a, an opportunity for me to, to, for to reinforce that decor and i'm going to take a player who's uh who i've started pronouncing their name differently since elon iconically called him artem zub on the keeping carlson pod a few weeks back it's just such a such a fun word to say zub um zub is fun too but i'm just enjoying switching it up lately so lock me in for some artem zub (laughs) it is zub right it is Zub, but okay. I'm I'm all in on Zub. I think it's fun. <laughs> Zuby, Zuby, Zub. Okay, Alex, I'll stop now. Okay, who's first? <laughs> oh, is it me? No, it's me. Ah, okay, go. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to skip me? I got excited um, for a second. I know. Oh, man, this is tough. Okay, I'm going to maybe give someone a little bit of a gift here, but maybe not too much of a gift. I'm going to go to my Sharks. And a guy who I was really surprised has done as well as he has, former Leaf, Alexander Barabanov, who the Sharks got for a guy who will probably never play again in the NHL. It was a pretty good trade. And uh, Barabanov has was looked great last season. He was a little slow at the beginning of this season, but he's been really good since, uh, I don't know, the last uh, several weeks or so, getting top-in-line deployment. I think uh, you guys mentioned this on Short Shifts um, the other day. Alexander Barabanov looks kind of like a new man, and I'm happy to take him with the, my first pick here of the Sharks. And I totally did the thing that um, Elon just reminded me to do, and I forgot. So I'll tell you who can't go for the Sharks. Uh, point per game plus player, Timo Meyer. God, he's having a great season. Tomas Hurdle, no Brent Burns, no uh, Norris Trophy candidate, Eric Carlson, and no Logan Couture. So with Barabanov gone, who are you going to take, Elon? Yeah, so first of all, I have two big regrets in life, and they're both related to our Dynasty League victor, because in this league, it's impossible to get prospects unless you you know draft them or trade for them, because it's such a deep league. And Barabanov was there, available last year after the Leafs traded him, and I didn't take it, pick him up at a free agency. I was so annoyed about that. The other one is I didn't take, or I did take Ross Colton at one point and then dropped him. So th- that was my first year of Dynasty. So I guess I was You've learning. had a tough life, Elon. That's <laughs> those are two tough regrets to carry for any man in life. That's rough. It's tricky. But one regret I don't have is something that was out of my control. But I do love the situation that Victor put me in because yeah, I like Barabanov. He's in a good spot. But there's one other clear guy in the top six here that's been you know getting good deployment all season and he's been pretty impressive. And that's Jonathan Dallin, who's on a bit of a cold streak now. No points in his last four games, but still 14 points in 27 games overall. I guess if Barabanov's going to stick with Couture, then the Dallin gets to play with 
uh, Hurdle. Also, Dallin gets top power play time. The last game it was him on the top power play, not Barabanov. It was Dallin, Meyer, Hurdle, Couture, and of course, the greatest defenseman of all time, Eric Carlson. So, uh, yeah, I'll take Dallin here. And I think there's quite a drop. So maybe Ben will disagree, but I, I'll preemptively apologize for making But it's not my fault. It was Victor who took San Jose here. Yeah, I'm actually, I'll be honest with you, doing like some mental math here to figure out if I'm looking at a, let's say a 30-point defenseman over 45 games, because that's all that's left in the season. I'm really only looking at like a 16, you know, 10 to 20 points at the most. And so maybe this is my one chance this this draft to really take a big swing. And I, I'm this player might not play in the league, but give me a Vander Kane, 45% rostered on fan tracks. If he comes up, he Whoa. could be a point-per-game guy. But uh, I'll take the shot. That was exciting. I think that this could uh, likely turn out badly. But like you said, it's not too big of a risk because you're basically giving up like 15 points with that. Like, even if it's only a 15% chance, the 15% chance of a real home run that you get to brag about forever. No one will ever remember that you took him if it doesn't work out. But if it does work out, you'll you'll go down as a legend. Oh, I'll remember. I'll remember. I I think what the lead of this podcast will be Ben loves Evander Kane. Ben absolutely endorses Evander (laughs) Kane in all of his ways and hopes that he's traded to the New York Rangers. I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta get out. (laughs) (laughs) We lost, we lost Ben. Okay. I'll stop it. I'll stop it. And I assume that the guy you were talking about in terms of defense, I'm going to go ahead and grab. And that's Mario Ferraro, who's kind of snuck up on us in the league and uh, done a pretty nice job for these San Jose Sharks. Obviously, always a couple of pretty good defensemen ahead of him, but I'm going to go ahead and keep filling that incredibly difficult-to-fill defensive core on this team. Okay, I'm going to be super boring now because I need to start getting defense, and this is a guy who's had some runs of relevance. I don't really like anyone else on the team. There's a few defensemen we could go with. None of them are that exciting, but I'm going to go to... I'm not so excited about this, but I'm going to go to Anaheim, uh, so on Anaheim, I can't take, obviously, Z- Zegris, Troy Terry, Getzlaff, Raquel, Milano are the forwards I can't take. And then Shattenkirk, Drysdale, and Fowler are all unavailable to me on D. But that actually still leaves me with a defenseman who, like I said, is I think ahead in points of like these guys like Drysdale, at least, in terms of total points on the year. And I guess I'll just say the name. Everyone knows who I'm going to say. Hampus Lindholm, 14 points in 34 games. He's had a couple big games lately. I don't know. It's a pretty boring pick, actually. And he probably won't even be good. But uh, I don't know. I, to feel the de- I don't. I don't know. And all the other options on Anaheim aren't that great, anyways. So I'm already regretting it. But give me Hampus. Okay, that's great for me. I um, this is kind of a tough team to pick from because it's it's all it just looks like a mushy group that you could really kind of hit on anyone, and nobody's really an exciting pick. Um, the one guy who I I I was I I ranked this player first because preseason he would have been the first I think he was the de facto first forward off the board for this team one point on 14 games so far this season for Maxime Comtois but in and only 13 and a half minutes or so definitely a disappointing season so far then he misses a bunch of time with injury and then right before the the holiday break gets put on the COVID list but he played one game on the top power play prior to going out where he was playing he played six minutes of power play one time and I like to think that this is a team, they they sort of had their hot run early in the season, and it looked like maybe Comtois was going to be the odd man out in the top six, and he might not get the opportunity. But I think that 
things in Anaheim have calmed down enough where Comtois is going to get another look up at the the top of the lineup. And so I really don't mind him as a second half swing. Man, this is <laughs> this is a rough team. The the uh yeah, I, I definitely would have loved to have grabbed Pampus Lindholm. Yes, maybe he's a little bit boring, but he would have been uh definitely heads and shoulders ahead of some others. Instead, I'm going to get a guy who's at least half a point per game because, you know, Jamie Drysdale, Cam Fowler, Ryan Getzloff, Ricard Raquel, Sonny Milano, Kevin Shattenkirk, Troy Terry, Trevor Zegras all off the board. I will go with uh, Isaac Lundstrom, who uh, is 22, so maybe something exciting will happen. And uh, at least he's dipped into the second line a little bit while Trevor Zegras has been out with various issues. So Isaac uh, Lundstrom for me. Wow, I didn't think this would happen. It hasn't happened yet, but you all left me my top choice at number four. So I will take Adam Henrique, who has the highest point per game total of all these guys. And I know that yeah, he's not that exciting either, but uh, and and maybe it changes depending on who's in the lineup and when Getzloff's there, he doesn't get as good of opportunity. But uh, yeah, I'm going to take Adam Henrique and I feel pretty happy about that. So thanks, guys. Well, I mean, just to be clear, uh, Henrique is injured, right? So that was ma- the main reason I think most of us avoided him. And obviously, if he comes back soon, then yeah, I think that's a really good pick. But he's still on the IR. He hasn't resumed skating yet as far as the latest update I've seen from Elliot Tiford. Just throwing it out there. Yes, yeah, he would well, have I been mean, number one on my list if he... I, I went to look him up and there were just no updates from December. So that, that's why I ended up not going with Henrique. Um, but I definitely... I think that it's really nice to get a player who, you know, based on his point percentage before the injury, his initial injury, uh, definitely could be a, a big steal from number four. He's definitely a guy where even if he misses the next 10 games or so, could probably still finish with the most points. So I totally see that and why you skipped him, but it also, uh, it's just a little refreshing to get someone who's actually decent in the fourth pick because most of these have been garbage for me. Yeah, It's not as good as Evander Kane. Uh, sorry, Ben's up. <laughs> yeah, Vander Kane is going to win me the league on his own. Just, uh, yeah, don't even worry about it, everyone. Um, I'm actually really surprised to get a chance to grab this player because everybody keeps talking about how they're not able to get a defenseman. But I, I think that this is a team where it's a very clear number one. But it's just, it's so difficult to pick from the guys who are up and down the lineup at the forward spot. And this defenseman has been really solid from a points percentage point this season. Um, if you look at this team, you can't draft Jonathan Huberto, Alex Barkov, Aaron Ekblad, Mackenzie Wieger, Sam Bennett, and Reinhardt, Carter Verhage, or Anthony Duclair. But heading down to Florida, I'm going to grab Gustav Forsling. Well, I'm going to go ahead and be Mr. Prospect Guy this time and take Anton Lindell. He already got 12 points in his first 25 games this year, and I think the sky continues to be the limit for this kid. Uh, As the season goes along, he'll get more and more opportunities. So Mr. Lindell, for me, Victor, did I snipe you, or do you have a different guy in mind for this Florida Panther squad? No, and, and this is definitely, I'm sure Elon can agree, one of the teams where it's it's not so bad going at the end because they score a lot and they have some pretty decent depth options. Uh, Lindell was definitely a guy I was looking at. Um, there's a couple other options, though. And actually, there's a young guy I'm really considering. But I think that I should do the smart thing here and pick a defenseman. So I am going to take Brandon Montour, and I won't spoil who I would have taken, but this might be giving... Elon a little bit of a a little bit of a risky pick, but also a pretty high upside 
guy or two. Man, yeah, there's actually a lot of good options here. Uh, all those regrets that I told you before, I made up for them last year in our league. Uh, Victor, I don't know if you noticed, I grabbed Mason Marchment and Gustav Forsling, the number one pick of this round, both out of free agency last year. And now they're both staples on my team. Uh, Marchment actually scored a goal today, uh, but I'm not going to pick him. I'm happy to have him on my dynasty team, though. He it was assisted by Lundell, who's already been taken also. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking here. There's this guy, Mammon, who's been getting top six time. I'm not going to take him. Uh, we've got, obviously, good old Frank Vetrano. Seems to always be available at the top of free agency. Anytime you need a guy who takes a few shots, he scored a goal today against the Habs. I don't know if it counts if you score against Sam Montembeau. I feel like it should only count for, like, half a point. But the NHL is going to count it. <laughs> There's Hornquist who, you know, last year was phenomenal. And now he's probably like just as good and Florida's happy to have him. But now they're so deep that he just plays in the bottom six and doesn't get top power play time anymore. Yeah. Then there's Owen Tippett. I don't know. So a lot of good options here. Okay. So I guess I'll give me, uh, I'll take Vetrano. I would have taken Hornfist, but I think Hornfist is a bigger injury risk. So I'll take the guy who's like just guaranteed third line. Hopefully I'm not jinxing him, but he generally doesn't get hurt. Is that who you were thinking about, Victor? Or did you have someone else in mind that I should have taken a swing on? No, I would have taken your stellar pickup of Mason Marchman. I mean, he's awesome. He's almost a point of game guy since, but he's only played 12, 13 games. And so that's, that's the risk. And I think there were some injuries in there, but I think there's also just been some decisions not to play him. And so that's, that's a, that's a risk that I was worried about. Um, But I think Marchman, you know, if he played all the games would probably be the top forward left between him and Lundell. Um, But I thought that, you can't get a whole lot of near half point per game defensemen in this format. So that's why I went on tour. Who's close to that. All right. So uh, I guess now Jesse leads off the next round. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to take another guy who's on a bit of a cold streak. He's on COVID protocol. Boy, I'm really building him up as my first pick to go to a team, but he also, when he is healthy, plays approximately 11 billion minutes uh, and does not yet have the social security card, although he's getting close. And that would be Ryan Suter for the Dallas Stars. Uh, I think this is a strategy pick. I'm not saying Ryan Suter is a world beater, but he's a defenseman, and I think he's a lot better than anybody else I'm looking at on the squad to pick. So, Mr. Suter, come on down. And who couldn't you pick from again, Jesse? Ah, yes. You know, I keep doing that. Uh, for the Dallas Stars, there were plenty that were not uh, to be chosen from. That's Rupe Hintz, Jason Robertson, Miko Haskinen, Joe Pavelski, John Klingberg, Tyler Sagan, and Jamie Benn. So there were seven guys off the top who could not be picked. Obviously, if anybody was asking, there's no goalies in this draft. Did anybody know that? Because we're doing points and goalies don't have points. So, yeah, just suitor for me. I'm wondering who Miko Heiskanen is. I haven't heard of that player. I thought I said Haskinen. You did. You said Miko Haskinen, Miro. Oh, well, yeah, I call him Miko. We're on <laughs> we're on that kind of a relationship. <laughs> it's a pet name. It's is mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's cool. <laughs> oh man, yeah, this is definitely a team where uh I think that was a great pick, Jesse, cuz I think Suter is clearly the top option on this team, especially because he's a defenseman who's like half point a game. And there are some decent forwards, but none of them are super exciting. So I would like to take a D, but I don't have any faith in the D on this team putting up points. So I'm torn between two forwards. One of them's younger, one of them's older. And I guess I'll go with the younger guy and I'll take Dennis Gurionov. Yeah, so that leaves me with either the ghost of Radulov, I guess, 
who gets bad deployment and doesn't do anything, or a defenseman who in the past has actually been, I don't know, not even that good. Whatever. I'll just take the D because I need it. I'll take Essa Lindell. He plays a lot. He plays big minutes. You'd think that maybe he could just give it to, I don't know, to Robertson, and then he could take care of business with Pavelski and Hintz on that line. So yeah, I'll take Lindell. Am I right, Ben, that you're you're going Radulov here? You're going to go off the board. I mean, not only does he play big minutes, but he's getting power play one time over uh, Heiskanen earlier this season when Klingberg was out with an injury. Um, so yeah, I definitely understand going with Lindell. And I honestly expected, just because I've rostered him at multiple points over the last few years, because he does end up with power play time on ice and you know he puts up peripherals, he hits, he blocks. But he's never topped 32, 32 points over 82 games is his, his best pace ever. So that's, that surprised me. I expected to see a higher higher career best point pace. I am getting uh, what Victor recently described as a very rare sensation of getting my number one player from the four spot here. Uh, I, I have Radulov over Suter, um, mainly because I just don't trust Suter's points to continue. They feel fraudulent to me to an extent. Um so yeah, I think uh, Radulov is the very unexciting a player I would have been excited to get early uh, preseason. I, I thought maybe he could have a bit of a bounce back here, but uh, I'll take him here begrudgingly or I guess excitedly because I get to take him fourth overall. So can I point out how crazy the Dallas lines are? Like they just go, <laughs> I know they change a lot yeah. in the last game. I'm looking at frozen pool here. So the top line in terms of even strength time on ice was Glenn Denning, Roffel, and Faxa. <laughs> then fi- then was Pavelski, Hintz, and Robertson. So maybe, I don't know, they're holding a lead or something. Then you have, the as the third line, Ben, Sagan, and Gurianov. Imagine, like, five years ago, we'd all be, like, drooling over Gurianov, getting to play with Ben and Sagan, and now he, like, got taken after <laughs> Ryan Suter. And then the fourth line in this game was Radulov, Riley, Tuft, and Jacob Peterson. So, I don't know. It's, like, interesting. Rick Bonus does some odd things. I just think it's funny that Glenn Denning, Roffel, and Faxa get the top deployment. But obviously, they're a defensive team. Radulov is on the top power play, for what it's worth, or he was in the last game. Uh, okay. He has been for quite a while. I guess that's yeah. the that's my thinking as to why I would have taken him first is that, sorry, I, I should have mentioned. But, yes, he's been on the top power play for a while, not doing much with it. Hopefully, you know, I guess with a pick like this, you're basically or I think we, we're kind of looking at these guys as streaming options. Right. And I think with Radulov, it's like if you, if Dallas has a good schedule, you're thinking, OK, hopefully the power, the top power play gets hot for a weekend. And Radulov happens to get a stick in on a couple of goals. So <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. where I'm coming from. Um, All right. So we've got one round to go here. And then that's going to be it for this installment of the draft on the episode of Keeping Carlson. And then at that point, you're going to have to switch over to Fantasy Hockey Life, but not before Victor finishes off the first half of this draft. So where are we going next, Victor? Yeah, we are going to go to a very uninteresting place for points, which is exactly why I'm picking this, because uh, according to my notes, he has the most point per game on the team or tied with who's available anyways. Uh, and that is Calgary where the team has very much surprised us. And in that Daryl Sutter system, they are a good team, but not necessarily for depth scoring, but certainly guys like Kachuk and Lindholm and Goodrow have been awesome. Even Menjipani has been pretty decent. We also can't take Rasmus Anderson, Sean Monahan, or Oliver Shillington. Don't call me Killington. Uh, because those guys are all uh, 
right, well, Shillington's right at 50%. So we're going here in the depth uh, of, of who's available. And I'm going to take Noah Hannafin, who I think is a decent defensive option, certainly not as exciting as uh, maybe would have liked him to be. But, uh, you know, I think that he sometimes gets some power play time and he, you know, plays plays a decent amount of minutes. So I think that Noah Hannafin is uh, a decent pick. That's who I got. Uh, Elon, who are you taking? Yeah, I, I don't like this. I'm already regretting. I should have taken Hannafin instead of Hampus Lindholm, I think, with my last number one. Hannafin's probably better. He had a good game in that last game. Oh, well. Um, wow. Yeah, with Lindholm, Goudreau, and Kachuk being the only good line, you look at the rest, then there's obviously Manjapani who's not available. And then Manjapani's lately been playing on a line with Lucic and Dubé. Remember when, remember when they acquired Blake Coleman and he was supposed to be something? People were drafting him. That obviously didn't turn out the way people were expecting um remember when mikhail backland used to be decent in fantasy that feels like a long time ago i can't believe i'm doing this but i guess i'll take milan lucic he's actually had some games he's he's got three points in his last four games he is playing with Mangiapane. he is getting power play two time i don't know this is not great i'm taking lucic as a number two. Oh my god this rocks because elon you mentioned uh Andrew Mangiapane's line mates, and I was like, ah, it's over for me. I'm I'm getting sniped on good good Albertan boy Dylan Dubé. Um it's funny though, I do want to just note how I was gonna say this even before you listed the line, but it's funny how we're at a point where it's like the guy who's playing with Mangiapane is like your best option for a streamer in Calgary. Obviously not because he's the top line, <laughs> yeah. but but that, that's where we're at. Like he's he's been really good this season. He he scores very regularly and so as a result Lucic is having his best year in Calgary and Dubé has been a pretty reasonable producer from a streaming standpoint so give me Dylan Dubé I just wanted the guy playing with Hannafin on the power play that's why I had to go with Lucic (laughs) (laughs) any chance you can get some Hannafin exposure you gotta up that of course yeah oh my gosh oh my (laughs) gosh that's this is where our life has gone to you guys uh I am going to take the guy previously mentioned. Yes, he has been a big disappointment on the year. Blake Coleman, that is. But he's only shooting 5%. He actually has, of all the players who are going to be in this draft today, he has the third most shots on goal. So I am going to say that he's still getting opportunity in Calgary. And uh, I'm going to bank on a little bit of a second half bounce back from Blake Coleman. So, Elon, I think that uh, that gets us through 16 teams, right? Yeah, 16 down, 16 to go. This has been a blast so far uh, for us. We're just going to keep going. We're just going to pause for a second, and then we're going to continue with the second half of the draft. For the listeners, you're going to have to uh, finish listening to this episode, which is just about to wrap up, and then go, like I said at the beginning, subscribe to the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast. Jesse, do you want to give a final plug to the FHL podcast for those that are not familiar? Let them know why they should be listening. Absolutely. We are we we strive to be the best dynasty podcast out there. We really focus on that element of it. Uh, my partner in crime over there, Victor, you've been hearing his voice throughout the episode, uh, knows his prospects. He's got a lot of great stuff uh, coming up uh, for listeners of our show. So I hope that people who listen to Keeping Carlson, listen to short shifts uh, that are the best at that kind of short term uh, what what should you be doing this week and kind of complement that with what Victor and I are doing, which is really that long-term look. So follow at Fan Hockey Life is me, at Victor Nuno is 12. You can find Fantasy Hockey Life on any podcast platform. And uh, you should go in. Spotify has ratings now, Elon. Did you know that? You can give five stars on Spotify. So they should do that for both of our shows. 
Oh man, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, please. So everyone who's given us a five star review on uh, iTunes, please also give us five star review on Spotify. That's a that's a good tip. I'm curious to see how our reviews are looking now. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and obviously also, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of Fantasy Hockey Life. I think they do a great job. So yeah, everyone listen. And if you enjoyed this first half of the draft, you go check out the rest. And then I guess at some point we'll also release the results. Uh, I'll just say now, uh, keepingcarlson.com slash draft. Uh, that, it's probably up right now linking to the previous draft. I'm going to overwrite that. And that's going to now link to the results of this draft for people who want to check it out. Uh, and then we'll keep you posted with how it goes for the rest of the season so thanks so much for joining us guys uh thanks everyone for listening to this episode of keeping carlson and we'll be back at you with a short shifts episode with ben and lewis in a couple of days and until then just remember to do your best in 2022 to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone